Hello everyone, this is episode number 148 of the Classic Gaming Podcast. Today's date is July 28th, 2020. I'm Robert Ring, and with me is the perplectable Jay Tataru. I don't even know what that word means. Hello. I just made it up. Okay, I was going to say, throw some big word at me. How are you doing? Doing good. I'm glad you actually called me Jay. It's been a while since you haven't called me Jay, so I was slightly expecting it there. But Oh, you thought this was going to be the time? Yeah, you're gonna like bring it back. We'll throw back. No, uh, things are good. You know, pretty consistent. Nothing, nothing too crazy. How about you? Uh, I, I actually, I'm doing awesome because I got a new guitar today. Oh, did you really? Good for you. Yeah, it's it's super fun. I got an eight string guitar, and uh, and it's this company called Strandberg that that makes crazy looking ones on top of that. And so uh, it's it's. It's a bit out there, and it's taking a lot of getting used to, but it's really fun to play with. So what is eight uh, As a person who's never played guitar before, what, is eight, what does it do? Uh, it, more... It's two lower strings, so like two, much lower sound. Overall, it's the you know it's got the same six plus two lower ones, so it gives you a lower range to, to play around with. A lot of people use them for like prog metal stuff, like so you can get like super heavy. Uh, and that's what I'm doing with it, or at least I'm trying to. So uh, that's that's tons of fun. But uh, aside from that, I'm also, I'm, I guess I'm doing fine. No, no big complaints over here. Good, glad to hear. Besides just the general state of the world. <laughs> or our country, at least, yeah. Uh, yeah okay, yeah, or our country. Um, oh, I did build, okay, oh shit. Do, do you have like 45 minutes for me to vent about something, actually? Is it Kingdom Hearts? <laughs> uh, I think maybe even worse. It is installing Windows 10 on a child's new computer. Interesting. All right. This is, I mean, like sit, like go grab a glass of water or a snack or something. So, uh, so I, uh, my sister, my daughter just, uh, just graduated. Well, didn't just, but obviously, you know, at the end of the school year, she graduated elementary school. And so she's going to be going into middle school this year. And my sister said, hey, how about, like, very, very generously said, hey, how about as a uh, as a graduation present going into middle school and to help you prepare for middle school and all this, how about I get you a computer? <laughs> I was, we're like, uh, really? And she was like, yeah, let's, you know, let's do it. I'll get you a computer as a gift. And so, but instead of buying her a computer, I said, well, hey, how about we, I was like, do you want to, you want us to build one? And so she was down for that. So I built, so me and my daughter uh, built, so basically like my sister paid for all the parts. I just said like, this is what we're getting. Is this cool with you? And she said, yeah. And so uh, my daughter and I uh, built her first computer a couple weeks ago. It was very fun. Yeah, it was really, it was really fun to watch her get to learn how to do that and all. And, uh, you know, and it's good to kind of teach her, you know, what, what all the individual parts are for and what they do. And, uh, yep. it was, it's cool for her to be able to say, you know, I've, I've, I built a computer cause she, you know, she was telling her some of her friends about it and they're basically like, what are you talking about? You don't build a computer, you buy a computer. <laughs> <laughs> and she had to show them pictures to, to show that we actually did build a computer. But, um, one thing we learned is you don't, is don't drink uh, apple juice boxes over the motherboard while you're assembling it. Oh. <laughs> no, nothing happened, but she was sitting there. We were putting, we had just finished, I think, putting the just the processor in, and uh, she's like, "I'm gonna get a drink." And then I look over two two minutes later, and she's 
like standing over it looking at it drinking a juice box <laughs> like no 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 that like get away <laughs> don't ever get anywhere near this with any type of drink whatsoever but uh so we learned that and but luckily there was no disaster or anything everything so anyway everything went went well we got it all put together good um it didn't post on the very first try because there were uh i forgot to hook up one of the uh power supply uh one, one of the one of the power sources into the, the 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 processor takes two inputs and i had only plugged in one of them uh but anyway we got it working without much hassle then it, i'm like all right so now the computer works now it's time to install windows so, go to Microsoft's website. You know, it's not exactly intuitive where to find Windows 10 installation, you know, the installation builder thing, tool, or whatever it is. But eventually I find it after, you know, a few minutes of looking around. And so I've got a, uh, a thumb drive. I download their Windows 10 installer onto the thumb drive. We plug it into her computer, boot it back up, and it starts installing Windows. Uh... And then it comes, you know, at one point in the process, it says, hey, uh, insert or, you know, type in your Windows key. And, you know, I had never, I never saw a place on Microsoft's website to actually buy the Windows, you know, to actually buy Windows or pay for a key. All I did was simply download the Windows installer. So, you know, it says uh, click here or something if you just don't have one and you can type it in later. So we went on without, without typing in the key because we didn't have one. And Windows gets installed, works fine and everything, but it's just got a little message constantly at the bottom that says, uh, you know, yeah, make sure please you authenticate your Windows. Exactly. So we uh, we go to do that. And uh, so you go into settings or something like that, and it says click here to authenticate or to activate Windows. You click there, and it takes you to the Windows Store, uh, the little, like, Windows Store app, you know, on Windows. Yep. And it says, uh, first, first it said... Um, we clicked on that and it brought up window, the Windows Store and it took us to a page that says, sorry, we don't have that game. <laughs> I was like, okay. And I noticed that the there was the, the back button like wasn't uh, disabled. So I clicked the back button on the Windows Store and then for some reason that took us to Windows 10, the upgrade. And it said, okay, and it's, there's a button that says buy to, to activate. So I click that and it says... Uh, um, so apparently she had already had a Windows account. I don't know what, re why, or what it was for, but apparently at some at some point previously we had set her up a Windows account. You know, as a child, as part of our family, and it says, "Sorry, you uh, you have to get a parent's permission to make this purchase." Okay, so it says, you know, click here to ask for permission. So I do that. It sends me an email. Does she have permission to buy Windows? I say yes. We do it again, and it says, uh, okay, your your parents have to add funds to your account for you to do this. You, you can't just pay for it right there. You have to specifically go through the process of adding funds to the child's account. Like, all right, so the so Windows is $132 or something like that, or it's like Jesus. 135 plus tax. But it doesn't say what tax is. It just says 135 Oh, the only increments that you can add money in are 10, like it was, I forgot exactly, but it was something like 10, 15, 50, and 100. I'm like, all right, I guess I got to do this multiple times. So click 100, uh, type in my credit card information correctly, and I, you know, click to pay, and it says, sorry, there's a problem processing uh, your request. Please contact support. 
So, um, and, and there's no button right there, you know, of course, to contact support. You got to go find it on your own. So I find support and then it takes me through, you know, like the automatic chat thing where it's like, oh, are you trying to figure out how to, uh, how to, you know, how to play a game, like how to download a game? Are you trying to figure out what in-app purchases means? Are you trying to figure out this or that after You're three, upsetting me. <laughs> after three times, it finally says, uh, do you, you want to talk to somebody? And so obviously I do. Eventually someone comes on. I'm like, Hey, uh. I'm trying to add funds to my kid's account so we can activate Windows, but it's taken, it's given me this message. Can you help me out? And they said, yeah, um, don't, sorry, don't know why that's happening, but uh, I'll get it worked out for you. Uh, I'm going to send this to the support team. You know, within one or two hours, uh, it'll be working. I'm like, all right. So two hours later, I try it again and it works. So I'm able to add a hundred dollars to her account. Okay. Then. I go back and of course the, of course, Windows costs 132. So I, you know, have to do it again and I add 50 more. So we got $150 in the account. So then I go back through the process of finding out where to, you know, buy Windows, click the buy button again. And it says, uh, sorry, you have to have a parent's permission to buy this. Um, Click here to ask them. And so I say, okay, I click there. And this time I never get an email to, to give her permission to make the purchase. Tried a few more times, same thing, nothing. Just doesn't send me any emails. So I get back in touch with uh, support again. Oof. And I say, hey, what's up? I'm trying to do this, but it won't let me install Windows with her. It keeps, you know, it says I have to give her permission, but it won't give me an email to grant her permission. They say, all right, let me look into it. And they say, oh, her account has uh, $150. And with tax, uh, Windows is $152. Okay. What? It doesn't say this anywhere. It Wait, just think about the ratio of tax for that. Yeah, well that seems really high. That's the least sorry. of my worries. But yes, you're probably right. Uh I'm like, whatever, you know, just let me do this. So and it, and it never said what the actual price was. Everywhere it always just said one thirty five plus tax. So I never knew what the actual amount was. So I go for a third time to uh, add funds to the account. I just obviously I'm just adding 10 this time because you can only do it in specific increments. And it says, uh, sorry, there's a problem processing this. Please contact support. I'm fucking like livid at this point. Um, so I get back in touch with them. They say, um, okay. Uh, not sure what's going on. Sorry about that, but, um, we'll have this fixed for you. It's going to be three to four hours. I was like, I was like, look, I'm trying to give you guys money. It seems ridiculous to me that first of all, this is, this is such a, such a huge hassle. Also now that it's going to take four hours and why can't I not just buy a, like it, there's nowhere that on, on Microsoft's website that you can say, here's 150 bucks or whatever. Just give me a key. You have to go through this asinine process of specifically buying it through the Windows store and all this shit. I was like, this is insane. And they're like, yeah, I'm sorry. I promise everything is going to be worked out. This is 100% is going to work, uh, you know, when we get this work figured out in three to four hours. All right. So it was like six hours later, I get an email and it says, hey, sorry about Sorry again. We got this worked out for you. Everything's good. So I go back and I add $10 to the account. I pay for it. 
Sorry, there's a problem processing this. Please no contact way. support. I am about to throw the fucking computer out the window. Uh, and I send them another email and I'm like, this is insane. You know, obviously retra- you know, retracing everything that's happened and just saying like, I'm trying to give you guys more. I just want to <laughs> like buy windows so I don't have this message on here. Eventually what I end up, but so they didn't get back with me very quickly after that. Eventually what I ended up having to do was I just went into her account and changed her age so that she's no longer a child. And then, uh, and then bought it that way. That was what I, I mean, there's probably a better way to do it if I wanted to wait on tech support again, but I was like, fuck this. I'm just doing whatever works. So I just like had to say, oh yeah, she's born in 2000 or whatever. And then finally I let her, uh, you know, just pay for it with the credit card. You know, obviously I just put in my credit card. Luckily I was still able to use the funds that I had given her. So I didn't have to pay extra or anything like that. It was the biggest, it was the most frustrating thing I've done in some time. It sounds like I used to work for Apple doing tech support for them. That literally sounds like Apple. Cause that, that's oh, what really? Apple was like 10 years ago. Oh, it was brutal. They, they, they had the dumbest ways to upgrade their software and like they would outdate software and they would tell the consumers ahead of time. So like there's some fault on the consumer, but there was like these times where they would do these software changes and then people's software wouldn't work anymore without updating their OS. And then they'd have to call in and update the rest. And you couldn't just buy it online. They had to call the specialty store. Right. And then we had to ship them a physical copy, which was the dumbest thing <laughs> oh in the world. God, that's like terrible. 2010. Yeah, it was brutal. So, yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's, that's not, yeah, that's not, that's terrible. That's not even too different from just not being able to say, here's money. Give me a number yep. to type in, you know? Give me a key. Yeah. That, that's what people get saying. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I have to send you a physical copy. And they're like, <laughs> I thought Apple was a green company. Like, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, that's what they say. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. I thought so too, but here we are. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit. Okay. Well, um, but after that, and that finally worked, everything's been smooth riding. Her computer is, uh, is better than mine and it's prettier than mine. <laughs> and uh and I'm not jealous about it at all. No, not at all. So let's move on to news unless you have any cool uh Windows stories to tell us about. Nah, I'm good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh the first thing is limited run games. You know, they make they they do printed versions of of like indie games and stuff like that. They recently announced that they're doing, they're going to be selling a Shantae reproduction cartridge, which is, oh, I did, I saw this actually. Oh, okay. Yeah. The original Shantae for Game Boy Color, which is pretty, pretty huge because that game is kind of a cult classic or sorry, not even, not even, I wouldn't even say a cult classic, but kind of a cult favorite, I guess is more because it's so cultish. It's kind of hard to also say it's a classic. I guess is, is what I'm getting at. But um, but it's it goes for insane prices because, you know, it didn't sell very well when it first came out. Then people kind of realized this game's really, really good. So now it sells for insane prices on eBay. So if you wanted to play, you know, an actual cartridge version, it's very difficult to get that nowadays. But they are... Limited Run Games is doing this. I believe they said uh, available to pre-order this September is what they're saying. So... Starting September, you can pre-order that. It says, oh, this is cool. I didn't see this. So, it is coming as a Game Boy Color reproduction cart. They say, additionally, the game will be coming to Switch both physically and digitally. So, uh, so that's pretty cool that they're going to have the original Shantae 
Huh. I don't know of any other... Do they have any other Game Boy Color games on like available on Switch? Like on the Switch store? I guess it's probably going to be kind of like a... I don't know. Anyway, one way or the other, it's going to be on Switch as well. So, there's that. Um, And also, the only other thing I have is the Lego Nintendo. Have you seen this? No. Oh, shit. Um, Okay, so, they just announced... Um, Lego is going to be selling a Lego Nintendo. Uh, the first question is, does it actually play games? The answer is no, but it looks really cool. I'm going to send you this right now. It is an actual, looks like, like almost like looks possibly one-to-one scale pretty much, or, you know, close to one-to-one scale, uh, Nintendo. And it's got a controller. And it also, part of the set, it also has a little CRT TV with it that has Mario on the screen. And even, like, the original Mario game, I mean. And even, like, the game is built, the, the, the picture of the game on the screen is even built out of Legos. And they even have a thing where you turn a little crank and it scrolls through the, it scrolls the screen past so to, to like different parts of the scene of the of the very first level of the first of, of Mario. So uh, it looks really badass, actually. That is actually really cool. And I think I'm probably going to get this. Uh, of course you are. Of course, it's kind of expensive. It is 250 bucks. So uh, you know, it's a little bit much. I'm probably just going to bite the bullet and pay f- and buy it anyways because it's because it's pretty awesome because and also because I love Nintendo and Legos. But anyway, it looks really badass. If you haven't seen it, you should you should check it out. Cool. No, I haven't heard of that. That's interesting. And that's all I've got for news. Let's talk about games. Do you mind going first? No, not at all. Um, so, how many games did you play this week? Because I'm wondering if we can alternate back and forth. I've got two. Okay. Do you want to go one one one? That's fine, yeah. Okay. Um, so I'm going to actually turn off my push to talk for a second, one second here, so I can talk more freely. So, um, a couple things. So the, the first thing is I'm going to start be, I'm going to, this is not pertaining to this, this specific episode, but I'm going to go back. I've, I've been watching in preparation for some, some new MMOs that are coming out. I'm going to go back and revisit some really old MMOs, ones from like the early 2000s. Some of the, if oh, I can find cool ones that are still active for like the... Yeah, for like the late 90s, early 2000s, uh, and start trying them out and just talk about them a little bit on the podcast because I've been looking for some, some something new to play in the meantime um, as, you know, Classic Wilds kind of, let's just say, I don't really want to talk about Blizzard really uh, just because of how much dumb shit Blizzard has done. They did something new this week too. Oh, that's what it was. Blizzard, yeah. Blizzard, so Blizzard hatred news from, from the Classic Gaming Podcast. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, real quick, I'll, I'll make this very short. So, so Blizzard, there's a new patch that just actually just came out today for uh, Encourage, which is one of the most iconic things that Blizzard ever did throughout WoW's history. Okay. And essentially, it's like this very big server-wide event where essentially a war effort begins because the Horde and Alliance have to work together um, in order to accumulate resources to open up the gates of Encourage. It's this big-ass event, and then essentially once all the resources are gathered, somebody on the server has to go through this extensively long quest chain. It's, it requires 40 people to do this quest, and it's super cool. And when you finish it, you get this you get this uh, rod, this big-ass rod, and you go to the gates of Ankaraj, and there's this gong, and you ring the gong, and after you do that, the, the gate will open 
uh, a week later. And when the gate opens, uh, there's a 10-hour event that occurs where the gate just starts pouring out these creatures. And as a server, you have to collectively destroy all these monsters in order to get into Encourage. And the monsters are these very unique creatures. They drop this really cool loot. And it's one of the most historic for anybody who played uh, World of Warcraft, especially back in the day. It's one of the most iconic things they ever did. I mean, if you ask anybody who's played WoW from start to finish, it's one of the first things that comes up. And anybody who who brings the gong or who gets the rod, they get a title of Scarab Lord, which is pretty cool. And they get this kick-ass bug mount. It's like it's one-of-a-kind bug mount um, that is just very, very cool. And so so this time, the event started today. That sounds um, awesome. And so essentially, uh, the war effort will be done probably within a week, and then people will start opening the gates. So how did Blizzard fuck it up? <laughs> um, so the event when it happened last time it was it, the first time it happened it was great it was super cool very laggy especially if you're on a populated server so people were expecting blizzard to uh to do the instancing or sharding right so they basically break out the the area called Silthus, it's called Silthus, into multiple layers so that you could have multiple groups of people doing the event and blah blah blah, blah right okay. that's that's generally how blizzard has done it because they don't want to expand they don't they don't want to have, extend uh, expend resources to to make their servers more compatible with with a large number of players so this time they decided that was too much work so what they decided to do is <laughs> uh, there's going to be a cap to the amount of players that are going to be allowed in silithis and anybody who is not in silithis when the event begins uh or excuse me if you if you are trying to enter the zone during the event and you are not one of the lucky, they haven't said the number yet, it's probably a few thousand people, this, it's just going to kick you out. They're just going to teleport you somewhere else because <laughs> the server can't handle it. Okay. Obviously, the blowback is massive. People are right. shitting over Blizzard, once again, for Blizzard being Blizzard. Uh, but it's just so funny. Like they, they, they are just the scum of the earth at this point. They just don't, they don't even care. Like they, they just, they're literally just shitting all over people, and they really don't care because their new expansion is going to launch later this year, and they're going to make a bunch of money. And it, it's just so funny to me. They, they, they're, they're laziest. They, they took, they, they already had the laziest approach possible and they found an even, even lazier way to go about it. So <laughs> just, it's just so funny. They, they just don't even care at this point. So if you, if you are not in the zone when the event happens, tough luck. You'll, you, you'll try to zone in and then you'll get ported out and then you try to zone in and you'll get ported out. And there'll be a bunch of flack and Blizzard won't care and they'll apologize and nothing big will happen. So, um, <laughs> There's that to look forward to. Uh, with that being said, so yeah, I'm going to go back and play some old, older MMOs, talk about them. A lot of them have smaller communities, so I'm not going to be able to talk too much about some of the depths of them. But um, yeah, I'll talk about more of that in the future. Uh, for the two games that I played this week, uh, both of which I beat, I'll talk about the first one. Oh, what do I want to talk about first? I guess I'll talk about that one first. So I, I played do a it. game uh, for the podcast a while ago that actually wasn't a classic game. And I didn't realize it wasn't a classic game because it looks like a PlayStation 1 game. Okay. Um, and that's Reseteer. Reseteer is a Steam game. Um, I don't know if it was initially oh, yeah, Steam yeah, game yeah. or if it was... It, yeah, I don't know if it was, if it was initially a Steam game or if it was done outside Steam and then ported over. Um, Reseteer is, is a very unique game. I played it for the podcast uh, a couple years ago and I talked about it. And I, I realized that the day of, I think, that, that it was not actually a classic game. I think it came out like 2007, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I kind of and it looks that. like a PlayStation 1 game. Yeah. Um, so, so I played Rusty again. I actually beat it this time, and um, oh. I just want to talk about it briefly because it was it is a very uh, very challenging game. It, it, it's very interesting. So, very quickly or not very quickly, I just want to talk about it. So, Resetier, it's called Resetier and Item uh, Item Shops Tale. I think is what, what the full title of it is. Um, this is a game that came out on Steam in the late two thousands. I think two thousand seven or two thousand nine, something some of that. And essentially, the game starts and you play as this character named Reset, and you own this item shop, and you owe a fat amount of debt, kind of like Animal Crossing, 
only the debt is is uh the person who is managing your debt is much more aggressive and forward than than Nook is. Oh shit. And they set a very strict uh, payment schedule. You basically have to pay them, you know, it's like $20,000 in the first debt. And after four weeks, the last debt is 500000 And you have to pay them. So essentially, as the game starts, you have a little bit of money. You basically um, go out into the marketplace. And, and I guess I'll start with the timeline. So each day is broken into four segments. If you leave, leave your house, you don't lose any time. But if you visit one of the shops... Uh, or if you visit one or all of the shops, you lose one segment of time. If you go into a dungeon, it counts as two segments of time. If you open up your shop to sell, that counts as one segment of time. So you could you could do four segments of sell time in a single day. You could do two dungeons in a specific day, I think. Um, or you could go out into the world and visit all the shops four times for no apparent uh, in order to eat up a day. At the end of the day, the, your character just says, like, you know, good night. Like, you can't do anything else. Um, so the game, the, the idea of the game is you are managing the shop. So you're basically buying inventory from the local market and then reselling it at a higher value. And you negotiate with people as they come into the shop. So if you have like a little girl come in and say like, Hey, I wanted to buy this necklace. And the, the market price is a thousand dollars. And you're like, Oh shit, I'm going to upcharge it 30%. 30% margin is pretty normal. And she's like, uh, I can't pay that. And you're like, okay, well like I'll give it to you for like 120%. She's like, I'm going somewhere else. And that's it. That, that's the end of the sale. And you only have so many transactions. So when you open up your shop, only a certain number of customers come in and then they'll look at your inventory and based on what they need, what they need, I'm doing air quotes, um, they will come up to you and say, hey, I want to buy this item. Or they may say, like, I'm here to sell this item to you, in which case you can negotiate to buy something from them for like very far under market rate and then ultimately resell it. They also come in and say, like, hey, uh, I want to buy a piece of food. And you can just like offer either like a cheap piece of food or an expensive piece of food based on what you have. And then you negotiate with them again. Um, the last real interaction with, with people you have is, is they'll come to you and say, hey, like, hey, I need two swords. Can I have that in like three days? And it's called an order. So you can have like all these orders going on with customers. Hmm. And then after a couple of days, they'll come in and say, hey, I'm here to buy my swords. And if you forget, it's really bad because then they get pissed off. Um, <laughs> and customers, you kind of build a reputation or rapport with them. And the better your reputation is with them, generally, you can be more flexible in the pricing. Uh, the different customers you have, you have like this very young girl comes in a lot. There's this gentleman who looks like a dad. Um, there's an older lady. There's a lady who looks like she's a, a mom, a part of a family. The game is very sexist too, by the way. Um, the women are generally oh, like really? simpler characters, and <laughs> they are moms. Don't and, you like, play they're only a there woman for, like, Food and jewelry. It, it's it actually is pretty sexist at times. Like I was like playing. I'm like, this is ridiculous. Don't you play um, as a girl? You play as a girl. You play as a child. You play as a, as a very young girl. Okay. Uh, and then the last guy that comes in, there's like, more people, but there's like a young gentleman who's like an adventurer, and he'll come in and buy stuff from you. Um, and you you can do dungeons using characters. Uh, you can rent other characters to, to do dungeons with. And when they buy stuff from you, you can sell it to them at a discount because you want them to get stronger. Because when you use them for dungeons, they'll have better gear. It's kind of a cool okay. concept. So the whole buying and selling thing is cool. Um, generally, you, 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 get, you get combos going. So in a single sell sesh, which is a quarter of a day, as I talked about, there's like the different segments. Um, you can get combos going. So if you come in, Robert, you're like, hey, I want to buy this necklace for $1,000. You're like, okay, $1,300, it's yours. And they're like, okay, great. Boom, transaction, you get money, and you get some experience. You get some merchant-level experience. And uh, so then somebody else comes up to you, and they're like, hey, you want to buy something, and you have a successful transaction. You get, instead of getting two experience, you get four, and then eight, if you are successful, right? Eight, 16, 32, 64, it doubles each time. 
And when you get to like the point where you're up to like 32, if somebody comes in and they're like, hey, I want to buy this item, usually I'll either sell it to them for market rate or really far under market rate because I don't want to fail the deal because I want to keep doubling my experience. If you get on a roll like that, you want to you want to abuse it, not abuse it, but you want to, you want to take advantage of it. You want to try and make sure that you get that last sale because you get high level merchant experience. And as your merchant's level, it goes up, um, you can expand your store, you can change the wallpaper, you can get additional counters, you can get vending machines, you can get... Um, more items through through the dungeoning, which we'll talk about in a minute. And there's just other things that come into play that are really important for you to do so. Um, as well, it expands the shops outside of your store. It expands their inventory, so you can ultimately uh, buy better stuff to ultimately sell to your customers. So that's kind of the, the ecosystem or the, the market, the capitalism. And by the way, they say some really funky shit. Like when you're selling stuff, like R Reset, the main character, should be like, capitalism, ho! And like all this, this, this funny stuff. And it's like, obviously, <laughs> it's a very capitalistic concept game. Um, and then when you buy stuff, the other thing you can do with it is you can kind of store stuff. And you can store like weapons and armor, helmets, potions, food, all this stuff. And you can go to the adventures. The adventure, I forget what it's called, like the adventure hub or something. And you can go there and you can rent a hero or an adventurer to go through a dungeon. And the dungeons um, are kind of cool. They're, it's like a top-down view uh, of, of a character that you rent, and there's like five or six different characters that I've gotten so far. Um, and they all have different abilities. So like the, the first guy you have, he's like a swordsman, a basic adventure. He has a shield, um, kind of tanky, no big deal. The second guy, uh, or the second girl you get is like an assassin. She has shorter range, does more damage, dies easier. The third guy's like a mage of some kind. He has like a bunch of spells he can do and so on and so forth. And you basically work your way through these dungeons through different floors. And as you're clearing the dungeons, there's mobs you can kill. Um, there's combos you can get for killing repeated mobs, which I didn't really explore too much because it's kind of tedious and hard to do. But um, you can get in situations where you will die. Um, and if you die, you can only retain one item from the dungeon, which sucks. So, And, and realistically, every time that happened to me, I reset because you can't fall behind. Again, you have this payment schedule that you have to meet. And so if you fall behind, it can be very challenging to keep up with it. So... Um, as you clear the dungeons, you have different interactions. You may find people in there that are other adventurers that you can ultimately hire, which is pretty cool. And then as you're working through the dungeons, there's treasure chests which can have good and bad things. Um, they can have items in them for you. They can uh, have bad effects where they have different map effects that can be globally bad for you. They can drop a bomb that goes off after a few seconds. They can teleport you somewhere else. They can make the whole map ice so you slide around so you bump into mobs easier. A bunch of fun stuff. Uh, so generally, you're, you're, you have to be strategic on how you clear floors because you don't want to spend too much time on one floor because you can run out of resources, right? Because if you only have so much food with you, you can only stay in the dungeon for as long as your character has health. Um, every five floors or so, you generally fight a boss. Uh, the bosses have some pretty simple mechanics, except for the last boss that I fought, which I'll talk about in a second. Um, the bosses are generally pretty easy once you figure them out. And certain bosses will actually join you as adventurers. You'll actually fight other adventurers. And then if you beat them, they'll come into your store later on and then act, ask to join you. They'll give you their adventurer card, which allows you to hire them, uh, which, is, which is a cool concept. One of the other guys I got later was this, this melee kind of monk dude who was a complete jackass. The guy has no money, which is really frustrating because they'll come in and say like, hey, I saw you have this necklace and uh, I really want to buy it. And you're like, okay, it's $30,000. Uh, it's thirty thousand dollar market rate. I'll give it up to. I'll give it to him for like one hundred and ten percent of market rate. So you're like thirty three thousand. He's like, I don't have that kind of money. And you're like, okay, I'll give it to you for market rate, you jackass. And he's like, well, I don't have that kind of money. Uh, lower the price. And you're like, okay, I'll, I'll lower it to like ninety five percent. Oh, that's not good enough. I, I need a better price. <laughs> and you're like, okay, I'm gonna give it to you for one hundred percent again, you dick face. And then he's like, oh, that's not good enough. I'm going somewhere else. Whatever. Dude. Like, fuck off. Like, I bought that thing for thirty thousand dollars. I'm not gonna sell it to you for under market rate. <laughs> it, it just, it's funny. Some some of the characters you interact with, especially. The young girl drives me nuts because she'll come in and be like, 
she'll be like, oh, I want to buy this this watermelon. And it's like 22,000 picks, which is the, the currency in the game. And you're like, okay, I'll give it to her for like 2,300. Or you buy, excuse me, it's $2,200 market rate. So you'll sell it to her, you're like, I'll give it to you for 2,300. And she's like, oh, that's so high. I don't have that kind of money. You're like, okay, I'll give it to you for market rate. And she's like, oh, that's ridiculous. Like you can do better. And you're like, okay, I'll sell it to you for, for 85% market rate because I just want you to get the fuck out of my shop. And she'll be like, ha, I'm such a good dealer. I'm like, oh my God. Like if this was me in real life, I would literally just strangle you behind the counter. Like I would literally go to prison for strangling this little girl because of how much of a total bitch she is. It, it, it's so funny that like that that character that little girl drove me nuts during the entire game. Every time she came in, I'm like, please don't buy anything. Please don't buy anything. Please don't buy anything. And then she's like, hey, I sold this armor for fifteen thousand. I'm like, oh my god, just go away. <laughs> like, just go away. I'm either gonna lose money on this deal, or she's gonna ruin my combo, or she's just gonna be really annoying. Um, which can be pretty funny. So you clear through the dungeons. There's a bunch of different dungeons you can go through, and the last one had this very extensive boss fight um, that really <clears throat> it wasn't super challenging. But it was just kind of interesting. And when you end up beating the, the boss, she ends up joining you. She's another adventure you can uh, obtain. But it was like this very lengthy boss that I had to go through after clearing 15 floors. Of the, or no, it was 30 floors. I cleared 30 floors of this dungeon. And I was like, if you again, if you die, you only get to retain one or two of your items depending on what level you are. So if you clear 30 floors and your inventory is 20 spaces, you get to retain 10% of what, you, what you've obtained. So I was really nervous when I was going to this boss fight because I'm like, I don't have a lot of food. Um, I'm pretty low. So I like was very cautious and took it very slow. But I ultimately beat it, which I was really happy about. Um, and that was actually the last dungeon I cleared. <clears throat> so back to the main point of the game, right? You have this debt. So the first week is 20 grand. So it's pretty easy to get to, right? I, got, I had like 38 grand by the time I finished it. The second debt was like 100, or it was like, I think it was 75 grand or 80 grand. I was like, holy shit. Like I, I've, I've never gotten beyond the 80 grand debt because I just, I couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. um, so... Uh, when you fail to pay your debt, is my understanding, because I never failed, because I'm so good. Uh, right, right, if right. you fail your debt, the game restarts. And you have to you get to keep your levels, your merchant levels, and you get to keep some of your inventory. But ultimately, you have to pay off your debt from the start again. So week one is 20, week two is 80, week three is 150, and week four is 500 grand. So um, the debts are very hard, because as you can imagine, as you're accumulating money, you want to use that money to buy bigger and better things to ultimately flip for a margin, right? Your, your, your whole goal is to continuously make margin. And when you have to pay out a debt of 20 grand and you have a, 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 you have a current uh, total of 40 grand or 38 grand as I had, it's like, holy shit, I just lost half my money that I can flip things with. I need to go do a dungeon. So you do a dungeon, you get some resources, you then sell the resources, which again, the dungeons take up two segments of a day. And in a week, you have 28 segments. So you're using almost 10% of your time right there in one dungeon. So it becomes this very strategic kind of approach where like, okay, I don't want to do too many dungeons. Usually in a week, I would do two dungeons. That was it. Because anything more, you don't have enough time to sell your inventory. Because again, in a, in a day, you have four segments that can be used for selling. And in, a, in those segments, like you have four segments, one in the morning, one in the afternoon, late afternoon and evening or night, whatever you want to call it. The one in the morning, you have a lot of people that come in. In the afternoon, a lot of people come in. In the evening, not so great. And then at night, a couple people come in. So generally, the two first two portions of the day are your best time to sell. <clears throat> so if you are struggling to sell your inventory, which I got to points where I had a shit ton of inventory, but not enough people buying, it gets really uncomfortable because you want to keep flipping inventory, but you can't get it out of your pocket. <laughs> so the the very last debt, the 500 grand debt, I was on my last segment of the day I had to make the payment, and I made... I made it. I was like, I had like five hundred ten thousand dollars when yeah. she came, when the when the the nook came a knocking, uh, if you will. So I beat the game. Um, and what's crazy is after you beat the game, the game opens up. You no longer have debt. 
the game becomes endless. So you can clear dungeon after dungeon. Um, there's more dungeons that I didn't know about. There's more characters you can learn about. And also, you can play a, a crazy mode where the, the debt happens where it's like 20, 80, 150, 500. It keeps going. And what she said is like, yeah, this is called hell mode. And it gets to a point where you're, you have to pay off like seven-figure debts. Ha, 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 ha. And I'm like, what? Like, I, I struggled, like, immensely. I had to be very strategic to get 500 <laughs> grand. And she's like, ha, ha, the next one will be a million. I'm like, what? Like, there's no way in hell that I'm ever going to be able to pay off that debt. Uh, so I'm, I'm taking a break right now. Holy I'll probably crap. jump back on at some point. Yeah. But it, it's, I will say, I enjoy the game. It is very strategic. And in the... The sort of aspect of going from like micromanaging a shop to going over to doing dungeons, it's a really nice balance. It's actually like a perfect balance for me. I really enjoy the capitalistic approach, you know, being very frugal with customers, building those relationships. And then at the same time, it's like, oh, I'm tired of dealing with people. I'm just going to go dungeon run. And you can just go dungeon run and you can spend an entire day just farming a dungeon. The one thing that I will say that I didn't like about the dungeon was the, or the uh, equipment size. You only have 20 spots. You will fill up 20 spots, three to, floor, three to four floors in. And what's annoying is like dropping inventory is really kind of tedious and it's not quick. And then as well, if there are treasure chests, which there are many, you'll probably find like three treasure chests per floor, right? Um, when you open a treasure chest, if you don't have inventory space, you can't open it. So you have to drop something, open the treasure chest, see what's inside. If it's shittier than what you dropped, then you have to drop that item and then go back and pick up your other item, which can be pretty <laughs> darn annoying. Um, Sounds fun. Yeah, that, that part did irritate me. Other than that, the, the game was pretty pretty seamless. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. I, I think I put probably 10 hours into it. Maybe more, let's see. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. It, it, was, it, was a, it was a nice approach. It was something different for me. And it's one of those games you can kind of pick up and put down at any time. And there's no real pressure, right? Because it's a single-player game. And saving and loading is very easy. So it, it was a nice casual game that, like, if nobody else is on, I can just jump on for a few hours or if we're in queue for something and I'm just waiting for it to summon to pop. It's a really casual game that I can just kind of hop in and out to. So right. it, it was actually a really enjoyable experience. Damn. Sounds like you really did have a lot of fun with it. Yeah, I did. I, I would definitely recommend it. If, if, if any of the things I talked about sound interesting, uh, definitely check it out. It, it, the dungeon crawling aspect felt a little bit like Chocobo Dungeon without the turn-based aspect of it, which I was looking for something kind of dungeon crawlery, something older, older obviously 2007, but or whatever it is. Um, but it, it had it had a very simplistic dungeon approach to it. But then you also have the managing the shop piece of it, which I, I really enjoyed. Kind of the diversity of going back and forth. Cool. Yeah. All right. That is Reseteer or or Reketeer, however you uh, pronounce it. I uh, So we're going to me now, right? And back to you again? Yes, sir. Okay. I'll do my smaller one first. Um, let's go with Galaga90. Or actually, technically, I'm sorry. I said the wrong one. It was Galaga88 that I played. Um, Galaga is the, of course, the classic arcade top-down shooter where you're, it's kind of almost, it's more almost just like Space Invaders than a than what you think of as a regular top-down shooter. Uh, most of the time you are not actually scrolling along, it's just, oh, here's a bunch of bad guys up at the top of the screen, a bunch of bad aliens at the top of the screen, they're coming down at you, and you gotta shoot them and kill them. Well, I played Galaga 88 which was the Japanese version of the TurboGrafx-16 port of Galaga. 
Uh, well, I don't even know if it would be considered a port, but the Turbo Graphics version, because I believe they did update it. Uh, because the graphics look a lot better than they do on regular arcade, on the, on the Galaga arcade machine, if memory serves me correctly. I actually used to have, so the, the reason I got confused on the names was the American version of this is the same exact game, except for, for, for some reason in America, it was called Galaga, it was called Galaga 90. And in Japan, it was called Galaga 88. I played this on the TurboGrafx-16 Mini, which I got recently. And on that, they have the Japanese version instead of the American version. Both the same game. I don't even know if... I literally don't know if there's any differences whatsoever because it's also in English for some reason, the Japanese one is. Just besides the fact that in Japan, they called it 88, and in North America, they called it uh, Galaga 90. Uh, but anyway, I used to actually, I used to, this is one of the games that I had on my Turbo Graphics when I was little. And even though, like every, like I find, uh, shoot 'em ups now and then that I really like, even though I don't, not a big fan of the genre in general, but every, but you know, I have found some throughout the years that I'm, that I kind of feel like, Which oh, ones that, do you that's really enjoy? Good. Um, my favorite is Thunder Force 3. Okay. Uh, Thunder Force 4 is supposed to also be really, really good. I haven't, um, I haven't played it yet though. This was another one that I've re- that I've, that I had, that I really used to play a lot that I really liked. The only other two that come to mind are, uh, of course, UN Squadron and Classic. Classic and, uh, I already forgot. I already forgot the other, the other. What was the other? Oh, you know, there was one on Game Boy. I think it was called Solar Strike or Solar something or other that I actually used to like a lot. And there was one more. Oh, oh, there was a recent one that came out around 2010 or maybe a little bit before that called Jamestown. It's kind of a uh, you know a modern take on the classic format, and it is really really fun. That's a that's a really good one too. So I'd say those are the ones that I really like. Gotcha. Uh, this one, you know, there's not much to it. It's it's Galaga, but with better graphics. Basically, there are there are, like as I said, there's some parts where you are scrolling. It's it's top to bottom, so you're on the bottom of the screen as opposed to the side, and you're shooting enemies as they come down at you. You you do scroll through for some of the game, but most of it is you'll come to a stop, and these aliens, most of them are kind of they look like bugs. They're kind of like bug themed. Most of uh, most of the game is you're sitting still and you're not actually scrolling anymore. And the aliens come down. They might do a little kind of ziggy zaggy, some sort of pattern. And then they go back up to the top and then they sit there at the top and they all kind of form this formation at the top of the screen. Very similar to how in Space Invaders, they're, they're just in one big block formation. Uh, and then they get into this formation and then every once in a while, well, not every once in a while, but, you know... Like every couple seconds, a few of them will fly down at you. And then a couple seconds later, even before those finish, a couple more will fly down at you. And then they kind of almost sort of take turns flying down and either you kill them or they get to the bottom of the screen and basically loop back to the top and take their place back in their formation. And then shortly afterward, they come down at you again and start trying to shoot you. And that's really all there is to it. And there, there are some, there are some, it's really funny that there was one that I remembered specifically that are, that, that there are these pink ones and you shoot them. And as you shoot them, they blow up like bubble gum. 
and they get bigger and bigger. <laughs> they get bigger and bigger, and they finally pop when you shoot them enough. It is really bizarre, but really fun. Uh, and then there's some levels where there are these big green blobs, sort of blocking you, your way from shooting them. So you got to kill. You got to shoot these big green blobs first, and then in between rounds, sometimes there are. Well, in between levels, there are these bonus stages, and they play this goofy kind of music most of the time, and it's usually some sort of ballet music or something similar to that, and the bugs come out, and it's, ba- and it's a bonus round, and they kind of just fly around in these little patterns, almost as if it was a chore- choreographed little ballet session that they're doing, <laughs> and the point is just to kill as many as you can, you know, of course, and just to get as many points as you can before they... Uh, where they fly off screen and try to kill as many as possible. And uh, I don't really know what else to say about it besides just that. It's there's it's a very simple game, but I had fun with it. I, and I still do because the graphics are fun. The graphics are good. The, you know, there's fun little bugs that, that get bigger as you shoot them and or that blow up like bubblegum as you shoot them. I was going to try to finish the game. I was, was going to try to beat it before, before I talked about it, but... I got like 26 levels in, I think, or something ridiculous like that and still hadn't gotten to the end. So, but it definitely doesn't change. It's, you know, nothing gets different while you're playing it. Uh, but I mean, it's, it's just kind of a simple, fun, kind of almost relaxing in a way, even though it's, it does take a little bit of Twitch reflex and that kind of stuff. It's just so simple that you don't have to think about it or anything like that. You just kind of sit, sit there and, and shoot and shoot bad aliens that, that look like bugs. So, um, you know, for me, if I needed a little mindless downtime, th- th- this is a good one to play. That's good. Yeah. Well. This, this kind of game is really fun. It is, yeah. It's sometimes if you just need a break from games that make you, you know, you. It's funny because I don't know. It's I'm kind of torn on this because some games that don't take any thought really, really, really bore me. Yes, yeah, I'm right there with you. And some game, and and they're almost more exhausting to play because of that. Some other games that don't take any thought are fun to play when I, when I'm otherwise exhausted. I don't kind of know where that line is drawn, but I know uh, what you mean. yeah, but anyway, that's, that's how it is for me. But yeah, if you know, Galaga, Galaga 90, I, I, I recommend it as a mindless little shoot 'em up. Do you want to actually talk about your second game? I need to give my voice a minute to, Rest. I, I talk a lot during work today. My throat's kind of sore. Sure, let me get a sip of water real fast. Okay, let's go on with my main one. I finally finished Final Fantasy VII Remake. Wow. Uh, why is that? A, why is that a wow? <laughs> I'm just surprised it was quick. I feel like eh. you play a lot of variety of games, so I'm just kind of impressed. It's taken me a while, but yeah, I, I do. Uh, I, I do kind of play a variety. I guess you're right. But anyway, so I talked about this and I actually meant to go back and listen to what I had said about it so far so that I wouldn't just repeat myself too much. But I forgot to do that. But I think I kind of generally remember. I mostly, I think, talked about the combat system and things like that. So I I might kind of touch on that a little bit, but I won't rehash too heavily into it. So Final Fantasy VII Remake, um, I guess just to go ahead and get the combat out of the way as, as so... One of the main systems, obviously, is the combat. It is sort of basic. It's basically MMO style, a little bit more action oriented, though. You you do directly control the character and where they're running, and you can you know 
directly tell them, you know, to dodge at any given time or to, to you know, to kind of take a blocking stance and that kind of stuff. But uh, otherwise, it is um, the, the way that the uh, and I, I did talk about this, I know. So I'll just go over it very briefly as a reminder. The way the battle system works it, is it, it is real time. But you have ATB, forgot what it stands for. Um, Active turn base. Yes, I think that's right. Yeah, thank you. Uh, you have ATB bars that fill up as you do things. And uh, when those fill up, that's when you can do a, a stronger attack, which is an ability, or use an item or cast a spell. So up until then, you're just kind of, you're basically doing many little, like, weaker attacks. That, that are important, but they're, but they're not nearly as strong as your other ones until those bars fill. So I kind of got thrown off at first because I, I felt like I was having to heal all the time on, on a lot of bosses and stuff. But that's actually just kind of how it's meant to be because you are not meant, well, at least as far as I can tell, you're not really meant to be able to mitigate a lot of damage outside of using ATB to to heal or to you know cast a spell or you know, like to cast you know, barrier or shield on somebody or something like that. So it kind of threw me off at first, but I eventually got used to it. The combat system well, is... Question. I, yeah. What did you play it on? PS4. That's, oh, okay. that's, I didn't know you had a PS4. I don't know why I didn't think you had one. Yeah, yeah. Technically, okay. it's technically it's my daughter's, but but yeah. I, I, did I, she have to install Windows on it? <laughs> Fortunately, no. <laughs> Otherwise, it might never have happened. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I was just curious. Um... So outside of the combat, so, so, so the combat is, is kind of hectic at times, maybe a little bit too hectic because sometimes it's hard to tell who you are targeting. But outside of that, it is, it's challenging without being impossible. And it's also pretty fun. So I, I think the combat system works fine. Then they've got the materia system, which is you, every weapon and most armor have materia slots on them. And materia is, uh, is the original Final Fantasy VII had materia, right? This is the, okay. yeah, the same, same same system you're describing as well. Right. Okay, that's what I thought. I just didn't want to say that before being 100 percent sure. And so yeah, same thing as Final Fantasy VII. Materia give you additional abilities uh, or spells, or sometimes they just kind of give you boosts to certain like like HP, for instance. There's an HP up materia which raises your HP. So there are these little orbs. That you can slot into your weapons or armor, depend you know obviously depending on how many slots the that weapon or armor has. Typically, you know by the end of the game, most of my characters had anywhere from probably four to six materia slots on them, roughly around there. And uh, so you know if you want somebody to be a spellcaster, then you want to give them materia like fire or wind, or uh, lightning, and things like that. Otherwise, you want to give them HP up materia, or, you know, the spellcaster, you want to also give them MP up materia. And then there's a whole... There There are probably 30 different materia in the game. Some of them do things like make your ATB gauge feel faster, or they give you the ability to steal, or they give you the ability to heal yourself. Or, you know, obviously, if you have a white mage type character, that somebody that you're using as a white mage, you want to give them cure, which, you know, of course, allows them to heal other people. And there are a bunch of different a bunch of different materia. And so part of the game is figuring out kind of what you want your characters to be like and giving them the appropriate weapons and materia to complement that play style. 
So there's that. Materia also levels up as you use it. So okay. they have a certain number of stars. Some of them have more than others. And as you use, as the characters level up, their Materia very slowly levels up. And I wasn't actually sure what makes any given piece of Materia level up because... Sometimes it would say, oh, this or that material leveled up, but it wasn't one that I had really been using much, so it doesn't seem to be based on actually using it. And I, I could be wrong, but it didn't seem to be based on that. Um, In the original one, different types of armor had different ratios for how quickly a material would develop. I don't know if it's the same in this one, but that's how it was. Like That's why you would, it, later on you would wear weaker armor that had higher material growth rates, I think it was called, okay. um, in order to level your material faster. So Interesting. Maybe it's cool. Okay. And uh, so that so materia system works pretty well, and also the summons are they're, they're not materia, but they they work basically the same. They, they work well. I say that they're they're kind of like materia in only in that you slot them to your summon spot. Everybody can have one summon, and it basically in fact <laughs> maybe take that back. They're really not like materia at all. The only reason I guess that I that that I thought that was they show up along with the the materia that you do have slotted on the same part of the menu, but they're really not the same because you have one slot that's independent totally of your gear that's specifically for a summon and they don't level up or anything like that. It just kind of visually looks the same in the menu system. So so I take that back, that back actually. But summons are another aspect of the game. How cool do they look? They look, you know what? They look really cool. Now, I, I think Final Fantasy X... I don't think they hold up to Final Fantasy X, for instance. Wow. Final Fantasy X has, like, the coolest looking summons. Would you oh, agree? I, I love those summons. Oh, yeah. Animus, or Aeons is what they're called. Oh, that's right. Okay, yeah. Um, they do look really, really good. I, I, I don't want to diminish them at all. But uh, I felt like they didn't have that crazy, insane wow factor like they do in Final Fantasy X. Like in Final Fantasy X, it's like a 45-minute cutscene every time you summon one. Not really, but, it, you know, it takes like a minute sometimes. And you can, in the menu system, you can cut down on the summon uh, intro uh, scenes. But I even found, when I played Final Fantasy X, I found myself hesitant to do that just because they look so cool when you summon them. And this one... Do you get the summons in the same order in this new seven? I think the first one you get is Chocomog. Oh, gosh. Uh, that sounds right. Yeah, that was the first. Well, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think that was the first one that I got. And then. Ephraim? No, the second one I got was. Sh- uh, Shin- uh, is it Shin? No, not Shinra. Um, uh, Shiva, yeah, yeah. Shiva? Shiva. Yeah. And then it was, I think, Fat Chocobo. No, no, no. It was Ifrit and then Fat Chocobo. Oh, Fat Chocobo was a separate summon. In, in the original one, Chocobo just had like a 5% chance to. Deploy Fat Chocobo. Oh, okay. Of, uh, oh, I didn't standard. know that. Okay. Yeah. yeah, then it is a little bit different, but but it sounds like mostly maybe similar. I'm not sure. I really don't remember enough about the original to say. But um, you you get them. So the first one, I forgot even how you get the the, the, the Chocobo with the, with the Moogle. The first one. I forgot even how you get that in the game. But the, in the first one or this one? This one, in this one. Okay. But um the rest of them you get by there's this little dorky kid who you um so you get this assess ability 
from him at some point in the game. And it's a materia that you have to equip. So you, it's not, so it's, it's a kind of an optional thing to do, but as you, um, assess monsters, which basically you cast it on them and you learn what their weaknesses and stuff are, as you assess them and, and beat certain types of monsters, he gives you, you give him that data and then he gives you different materia throughout the game. He'll, he can build new materia based on the data that you give him. Um, and then you can buy those from him. But another thing he does is he comes up with virtual kind of training set, not, not really training sessions. It's virtual battles that he's like supposedly getting like study, like analyzing your tactical information from by watching you fight. But really what it is, it's just a way for you to, to earn summons. So he says, Oh, I got a new battle that I want you to do. And this, and the first one is Shiva. And he's like, Oh, you go into this virtual battle and fight this person that I've kind of created. And so that way I can get the tactical information from you for my studies. And by the way, if you beat her, then you get to use her as a summon. So that's how you get the rest of the summons throughout the game. Periodically, he'll say, oh, I've got a new virtual battle for you to do if you're interested. And then it's a new summon. And then you have to go into that battle and defeat the summon. And then you gain that as a summon that you can use. So that's how you get them. And then you pick which summons you want to slot. Each character can sum, you can slot one uh, summon to each character. And the first one you get, uh, you know, beyond the, the Chocobo, the Chocobo is, uh, is she is Shiva. And then eventually you get fat Chocobo, you get uh, Ifrit and you get Leviathan. Now summons are, I love summons in RPGs. In this game, they work a little bit weird. And I don't remember if this is similar to how it works in the original or not. I'm sure you probably remember, Jay. But in this one, basically you just fight battles. And then if a battle goes on for a really long time, then eventually it says, okay, you can you can summon one of your summons now. Yeah. The very other one, you could just literally pop them down every one. Okay, yeah. this one's Every totally fight if you wanted to. Okay, this one's totally different then. You, it, you can only get them in a very long battle. And eventually, if the if as I said, if a battle goes long enough, then you'll see this kind of timer start start ticking up, and then when it gets full, then you can summon. And it doesn't cost anything to do it once you get to this point. And once you do summon them, so you choose whose summon that you want to use, and you get that. Per- I'm sorry, I think it does take. I think I said it, it doesn't take ATB, but I think it does actually. Uh, you choose whose you want to use. You summon that person. And side note, I think you do get Ifrit before Shiva, but that's not really important right now. <laughs> I just, I, I just hate when I get things wrong like that, but maybe you do get Ifrit <laughs> first. Anyway, you pick who someone you want to use and then they summon them. But when you, but when your summon comes, they just kind of, you don't really do a whole lot with them. They just kind of help you out during the battle. You don't control them very much. They do damage. They do kind of continually attack the bad guys that you're attacking, you know, a lot of the times it's in a, it's in a boss battle. So they're just attacking the boss. And then while they're there, while, while the summon is present, helping you in whatever fight you're doing, when you get, when your ATB fills up while they're there, then instead of using your ATB, you can still use your ATB as usual to, to, to use an item or to cast a spell, but you can also use it to cast your summons, special ability which is usually just you know a really powerful thing so usually you you will want to take advantage of that unless you just really need to use your adb to heal or something like that you know but 
they just kind of they're they're very very passive in in every sense because you don't really get to choose when to use them and then when they're there you don't really tell them what to do too much except for every once in a while say hey go ahead and use your special ability now and they'll do that and then after a minute or two then they do one big giant really strong attack not not insane but a really powerful attack and then they go away so Oh, and another thing about summons, and this is really weird. I, I couldn't figure it. I don't think there's anywhere in the game that actually tells you this. I had to look it up. Sometimes it wouldn't let me summon certain summons. I couldn't figure out why. It would it would be time to summon something, and I would go, and some of my guys would have theirs grayed out, and I couldn't select it. So I looked it up, and apparently, if you're in a space... That's too small for your summon. You can't if your summon is too big, you can't summon it in certain spaces. So that's kind of weird. Um, but all things considered, as I said, I love summons in general. That's like one of my favorite things in RPGs is getting to summon stuff. In this game, I feel like they're they're implemented a little bit weakly. Because um, as I said, it's so passive. How much little control you have over. You know what they do when you're going to get them, and sometimes there are even restrictions on which ones you can summon at any given time. And w- when you do summon them, yes, they do definitely help you out a lot. But I feel like it's just like oh, every once in a while, then you get to get this thing, and oh, it's just going to do extra damage for you. And that's kind of what it all boils down to. And it's not a, it didn't feel as fun as you know, again, for instance, Final Fantasy X, where it's I'm going to summon this guy and he is a complete badass and he's going to do a shitload of damage for me for a little bit, you know? It just kind of helps out for a little while. Makes sense. So, they're great when you have them, but they are kind of limited use overall. So, um, outside of summons, uh, other things about the game, the st- uh, you know, the one thing I'll say is, one thing that's different from the original is you never get to choose your party in this one. It's all ba- it's all based on what's going on with the story. So it'll say, you know, oh, now you're with Aerith and Tifa. And so that's your party. Oh, no, you know, now Tifa got separated. So and now Barrett's here. So now it's you and Barrett and, and Aerith or whatever. So that's that's how the game goes. Obviously, that is a little bit limiting. Uh, and, and I do like to be able to pick who my party is. But I also really... This may, I may be in the minority here, but I kind of actually liked that because in the original Final Fantasy VII in particular, and in in plenty of other RPGs, I find myself basically paralyzed when I have to choose who not to use in my party. (laughs) I don't know. Are you the same way? Like, I get this where, like, I'm like, oh, no, I want this guy. I want all these guys. How can I choose not who not to have? I generally, uh, deal with that by saying, I'm going to play this game again. <laughs> I know how to do a second playthrough. <laughs> yeah, that's a good, I guess that's, that's a pretty good answer. Um, usually, I feel like a lot of times I would be disappointed by this, but I, I remember when I played the original Final Fantasy VII, and you lock, you unlock you know quite a few characters in that game, and I was always so disappointed that I couldn't just use everybody, you know? Or, or when I did have to choose, it was it was an agonizing decision. Who am I going to throw away because all these people are so awesome? Um, so maybe it's not ideal, but part of me did kind of like being forced to just say, you know, this is your party right now, so you yeah. use these guys. 
Um, and, you know, one thing I will say that's also nice about it is you don't have to worry about who am I leveling up for the end game. You know, that's always a factor that's in the back of your mind. Who is going to be strongest in the end? Who do I really need to level up? Might not necessarily be your favorite person or anything like that. So uh, this this lets you kind of use everybody and you don't have to worry about, oh, no, so-and-so isn't getting leveled because you just kind of have to trust that the game is balanced, that it's going to, you know, your people are going to be leveled the way that they need to. Uh, by the end of the game. Uh, what else? So the story. Overall, I really generally liked the characters. The, I, I do feel like they did a good job. Maybe not with this. Well, not not with the story, but less so with the story overall. The writing of the story is fine, but the writing of the characters in particular, I felt was actually really strong. Um, kind of felt like I could relate to them. And that's not always a given with Final Fantasy games. No. <laughs> I mean, some it is for sure, but but definitely not all of them. And I feel like they did do a really good job of that in this one. Uh, this the the overall story, the the, the plot. I mean, it's fairly straightforward uh, until the very end. It's nothing big. It's not super engaging, but it's also not super obscure until the very end of the game, which kind of goes off the rails in typical JRPG fashion where you're just like, what the fuck is even happening anymore? Which is really weird because I don't believe, or correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't believe, you know, up until the point that this game is, which is shortly after you infiltrate the Shinra building, um, I feel like in Final Fantasy VII, up till that point, nothing crazy ridiculous had happened yet plot-wise. Minus Cloud having those breakdowns where he has like those mental visions, or whatever. Okay, yeah, this okay, okay, yeah, this is true. This this does have that. Um, Wait, I have a question. Did the games fully released at this point? I thought they were going to do it in segments. Like you beat the game. Well, I beat this. I beat this disc. I, like I beat this segment oh, okay. of the game. Yes, they are releasing okay. more. What I, did it end with? It ends. Um, so after you get done with the Shinra building. Yeah, when you leave the Shinra building and you fight the dude on the highway. Yes, you fight the dude on the highway. Uh, yeah. Then, uh, so spoilers here for about maybe the next minute or two. You um, After that, you fight... Uh, did the first game have Whispers? No. Okay, you fight these ghost things called Whispers, and then you fight Sephiroth. Which I Whoa. think definitely didn't yeah, happen. New. Yeah. No. Um, and then that's, and he's the final boss, but it's basically right after the highway boss. Yeah. I can't, I think, I can't, I think it's like Molotov or something. I can't remember that. boss. I didn't even remember him from the first game. I thought that was made up for this one. Um, (laughs) so I don't know. What's crazy is like that scene is like eight hours into the game. Like you're maybe, maybe 15% of the way through the game. Right. Yes. So they really, yeah, they really kind of expand a lot of that part of the game, clearly. Better? Worse? You know, not. it's not bad by any means. I thought the game was very good. I really did. I really have liked it. It's not as good as the original Final Fantasy VII. Interesting. Uh, I figured they would clean up the story a lot to where it would be much more enjoyable. Story-wise, I can't say. I'd have to go back and play the original one again. First one's very convoluted, very hard to follow. 
Okay. It, it starts off really strong and then just ends in a clusterfuck of confusion. Okay. Well, this one is very straightforward most of the time, but then at the end of this part of the game, it, it does definitely end in a clusterfuck of confusion. Just okay. prema- prematurely, I guess. Um, yeah, because by the end of the game, I, I think it adds a lot that wasn't in the first one. It does a lot of crazy stuff, and you're just left like, "What the fuck is even going on?" Like it. Yeah, and, that, and, that's Final Fantasy VII. And uh, yeah, and that's what other people have said too. So it's they definitely do some things that are different and some things that are very confusing from the from the first Final Fantasy VII, and uh, it's kind of left you thinking like, "What what is even going on right now?" Up until that point, as I said, it is pretty straightforward. Um. As I said, I did really like it, uh, but I just I the feeling I had playing the original Final Fantasy VII about about ten years ago was when I played it for the first time. I had so much fun playing that game; I couldn't stop. This one, I didn't have that same level enjoyment of enjoyment, but I did still really like it. Um, I will say the ending. The last few hours of the game drag way, to me at least, they they dragged way, way too long. I thought, there were about five times that I thought I was on the final boss. They, it took me about 50 hours to finish this game. What? Yeah. I did, I did do all of the side quests, to be fair. But, and you know, I, I would say maybe closer to 46 or so, because there were some times where I, you know, would leave it paused for a little bit and go do something. But my final play time was right at the 50 hour mark or it was, you know, 49 and a half or something like that. And when I got to, <laughs> when I got to about the 35 hour mark, I thought, oh, this game's getting pretty close to coming to an end, but I had still... So much more to do. As I said, there were about five times where I thought, oh, okay, well, this is the last boss of the game then. It just, the um, the Shinra level itself, that whole level goes way too long and is way too, oh, now we got to do this. All right, now we got to go open these doors. Now we got to get this thing. Now we got to go open these other doors. There is way too much, I felt like, just getting through that level. And then... That was where <laughs> there's about five bosses left, and I thought there was going to be one or two. Uh, so it, I really, really felt that it took too long to wrap up once it got to the end. But as I said, overall, I did still really like the game. It was just kind of that last ten, <laughs> last about ten hours, I guess. That I was like, man, this is still going on, huh? Okay, but good game. Just, you know, not without a few flaws. Interesting. I'm very excited if they do release it on PC because I'm definitely going to play it when it comes out next year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope it does too. I really do hope that the subsequent installments, maybe they release more shorter ones than rather rather than a few giant ones. Because mm-hmm. I, just, I just don't know if I'm up for two more 50-hour games to finish this game up, you know? <laughs> yeah, did they say it's going to be three segments? They haven't. No, no, that was just kind of me just guessing. If they, okay. if they did keep them long, I don't see how they could do two or three more. Um, they haven't said. In fact, they've 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 said we really don't know what we're going to do as far as the length of the rest of them. Perfect. So um, there's no telling what's going to happen. I hope it's 
you know, maybe f- four or so shorter ones rather than the, a few or longer ones. But we'll, we'll see gotcha. what happens. I'll, I'm sure I'll play them either way. I just don't know. I just would much rather than be a little bit more bite-sized yeah, moving forward. Okay. Um, Jay, what you got for us uh, for the for the final game for this evening? Uh, for the final game this weekend. Um, so I, I'm going to turn up on my I'm just taking myself off push talk because it just makes it easier. Okay. Um, so one of the games, so obviously a big fan of Bullfrog. Um, my brother and I have been jumping from game to game to game, just looking for different things to play. And one of the things that we, we've been talking about for a while of playing together was Dungeon Keeper. We really want to play Dungeon Keeper 1 together. We just kind of want to explore and see, you know, we kind of went through a rabbit hole of, of researching and finding out that there's this massive community behind Dungeon Keeper 1. Um, somebody did a bunch of mods to it and all this fun stuff, and, and we looked into it and decided against that. I played some Dungeon Keepers 1, but realized that um, it, there are some some aspects of Dungeon Keeper 1 that just really don't give me a whole lot of fulfillment from a strategy perspective. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of interesting because for a long time I, I've always really liked Dungeon Keepers 1, but I was looking for a little bit more depth and strategy, especially since we were trying to play together. So uh, I, we ended up playing Dungeon Keepers 2 a little bit, and my brother kind of fell off, and we were we started playing a different game, which I'll, I'll talk about in just a few minutes here. But I ended up playing Dungeon Keepers 2 a lot, a lot, a lot. So I ended up beating the game entirely after playing for 15 hours or so, and I really enjoyed it. Um, I would actually encourage, Robert, I know you didn't like Dungeon Keepers 1, but I would encourage you to play Dungeon Keepers 2. I think the quality of life adjustments, the the uh, use case, or the the, uh, um, the ability to use the AI or the UI is much cleaner in Dungeon Keepers 2. The graphics are cleaned up. Uh, and, and overall, the game has a lot more accessibility as obviously we've, we've had games age over time. And so I played Dungeon Keepers 2, and I played it all the way through. I played every single level, including the bonus levels, and enjoyed every moment of it. And I actually wow. struggled, especially with the last level. I really did. And I think Dungeon Keepers 2 is a really good balance uh, from Dungeon Keepers 1 in a lot of different ways. So Dungeon Keepers, in, in a very simple sense, is, is to me a very creative and unique approach to sort of an RTS. Um, I say sort of an RTS because there are some elements of RTS in it, but there's also some different sort of perspectives in it as well that, that for me, give it a very unique title, um, which for me, that's Bullfrog in a nutshell. I mean, I, I was looking through the titles last week, and I'm just like, every one of their games has some elements of different genres, or, or in a lot of cases, a lot of RTSs for me, uh, with some some different caveats or unique approaches that I really appreciate. So Dungeon Keepers, very simply put, is, is you're basically, um, you're underground, and you are a dungeon keeper, hence the name, obviously, right? And you have you start out with these imps that allow you to dig through walls, and the, the walls are square shaped. So you, well, you're a top down view, right? So you can basically dig your way any direction you want, and just start carving out a dungeon. And you can basically map out your dungeon uh, and start building rooms. And different rooms will attract different creatures once you once you capture a portal. And so after your imps hollow out an area, they will start claiming the tiles because they're basically squares. Uh, they're fixated in size, and they'll start claiming squares, which you can then convert the squares into rooms using money. And as you progress through the dungeon, you can find different secrets, you can find other keepers, and you can also find some neutral mobs that will fight you as well. Uh, and then once you find a portal, you'll claim it, your imps will claim it once they once they uh, control enough territory around it, you can then uh, capture the portal, and then based on what rooms you have and the sizes of them, it'll attract certain creatures. And the different creatures have different uh, interests. 
So you take like um, a goblin. I don't really know all the all the, the creatures' names. Sorry, but I, I just can give you generalizations. Sure. I didn't really pay attention to their names. Uh, but the goblins get their name, just really names. Yeah, you know, because obviously people are going to quiz me on it. <laughs> so the goblins like to train. So if you have a training room plus a layer plus a a, a hatchery, which the hatchery is used for for feeding, um, they will they'll come to your dungeon and they'll kick it. They'll kick in your dungeon. They'll go to your lair. They'll make a bed. Uh, they'll train and then they'll maybe explore a little bit and that's it. They don't really do a whole lot. Uh, wizards, they like to research and they like to learn. So if you build a library, they will research things for you. They'll upgrade your spells. They'll expand your availability of spells, and they'll generate you mana as well, which in this game, mana is a new addition. Uh, mana is is used to, to cast spells instead of money. In the original one, all of your spells cost money, which became a real problem because at the late game, if you didn't really have a lot of money, you were kind of screwed because you couldn't cast spells and your opponent could just outcast you with, with certain spells that were substantially stronger than yours. So in this one, you have mana, and the mana accumulates over time based on how well your creatures are doing, and if you have other any other any other buildings that are interacting or generating additional mana. Um, and then there is a, a I kid you not, there's probably 20 rooms in the game. They all have different interactions, different use cases, and attract generally different types of creatures. Uh, there's things like a torture chamber, which uh, attracts a mistress. The mistress is a really fucked up, scantily clad lady who likes to be tortured. And they're wearing all, all leather, like shiny leather. <laughs> Interesting. And they love to fight. Oh, so it's not, it's not. So that's <laughs> not even a, for use against your enemies. That's to attract a. Uh, you are correct. Masochistic. You can use the torture chamber. You can use the torture <laughs> chamber against your opponent as well, and I'll talk about that. Um, but yeah, so the, the, the mistresses they like to train <laughs> and they like to get fucked up. So you, you and one of the actions you can do as the dungeon keeper is you can slap your creatures to make them work. Harder. I'm down with that. And, and and they like to be slapped, and it hurts them. It takes health points <laughs> off them. And so if you slap them, they're like, ooh. And, oh, uh, kinda, and, didn't and they have the slap mechanic in the first one? They did. And generally in the first one, it didn't really have too much use for it. Um, I don't know if the mistress is like it. Your creatures generally act a little bit quicker. But your creatures also get upset. And if your creatures get too upset, they'll just leave your dungeon. Um, there's a workshop. Workshop attracts trolls and bile demons, which we'll talk about that in a sec. Trolls, uh, they can manufacture different things in your workshop. And one of the things that they did in this one, which I found to be really useful, is you can actually tell the workshop what to build and then use the things that they build to build, like, doors and traps. And the traps are very strong in this one. Uh, whereas in the first one, the trolls would research through the workshop and they would just kind of generate things. And you'd be like, oh, great, another door. I have 16 doors, but thanks, dude. Thanks for making <laughs> doors. I really need some traps. Uh, so in this one, you can actually tell them what to work on, which is pretty cool. Dude, he just loves um, making so, doors. Don't 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 make fun oh, of him. It was it's so frustrating because you're like, and the worst part is like at a certain point in the first one, the the, um, the workshop had a capacity to it based on the number of objects oh, no. you have in it. <laughs> so like they're like, your workshop's not big enough. I'm like, dude, it's half the map. Stop making doors and just start making crap. <laughs> like you're literally wasting my time. Um, but yeah, so so the trolls they're not they're not really good at combat, but they like to sit there and make stuff. So that's pretty cool. Bile demons. Bile demons, they like to eat, they like to train, they like to sleep, and they like to fart. They are gaseous creatures. They're like these very overweight, morbidly obese, red-looking demon creatures with these big-ass horns that have flails on the ends of them that they swing back and forth in order to do damage. They like to, work in the, they like to work in the workshop, they love to train, and they love to fight. And while they're fighting, they do a lot of damage, they're super tanky, and they fart. And their fart does AoE damage, including to your minions as well. One of my favorite creatures, one of the most iconic creatures uh, in Dungeon Keepers, period. <clears throat> so... You kind of get the idea here. There, there's there's a, a vast variety of creatures. You can get flies. You can get, um, I think they're called dark knights. I forget what they're called. But they come from uh, the arena. And you can basically drop your creatures in the arena, and they will fight until they pass out. Basically, they're so low in health. And then your imps have to take them back to the lair in order to recover. If you don't recover them quick enough, they will just die. 
So you can actually lose creatures by having them fight in the arena. Some of the creatures love to be in the <laughs> arena. Some of the creatures just love to watch the arena. Uh, as you get skeletons, which we'll talk about that, uh, they love to just watch things fight in the arena and watch other creatures get beat up and tortured. Pretty fun. Nice. Um, so yeah, there, there's a variety of creatures that you can accumulate throughout the different rooms that you can build in your in your dungeon. Um, and then what you can do as well is when you're in combat, your creatures, when they're one v one another creature, um, if they win the fight, or if your creatures win the fight, if it's like a 10 v one, they knock the other creature unconscious, which brings them down to ridiculously low health, and they're basically rotting out. You have two options. You can either let them rot out and then take their corpse and you take it to your graveyard. And after you, after you accumulate enough corpses, it produces a vampire. And vampires are very strong. They have a great use case. They love to, uh, they love to train. They love to do research. They're very effective. They love to fight. They're really, really powerful creatures. Otherwise, if you want to, you can actually take the creature before it dies and bring it to your prison. If you bring it to your prison and the creature dies in the prison, it becomes a skeleton. Skeletons are pretty cool. They, they are pretty mediocre overall, but as you're winning a lot of battles, it helps you to accumulate an army, right? Because you can do, you can, every time you want to fight, you can just take all the dead bodies and you can bring them back to your base or the, the partially living bodies, take them to your prison, let them rot, and just build an army of skeletons. And that's what I did a lot. In a lot of my levels, I was like, I don't really want to deal with vampires. Uh, the graveyards where the vampires are produced are extremely expensive. I think oh. they are either the most expensive room per square footage or the second most expensive. So in order yeah. to have a big enough graveyard to generate vampires, you have to spend a lot of money. Um, and by the way, I'll jump back for a second. Money is produced by when you're digging through uh, through the, the dirt as you kind of uh, dig through the dungeon or build your dungeon out, you'll see segments of gold that your creatures can mine. And when you mine the gold, you obviously accumulate it and then you can store it and use it. Well, isn't that's, that's uh, how it was in the first one, right? Exactly. It's the same okay. as the first one as well. Okay. Um, you can also produce money with mana. That's a really late game thing, so it's kind of a whatever type thing. Uh, and then the third thing you can do with bodies is you can take them to your prison and you can heal them. You can heal opponents' creatures in your prison and slap the shit out of them. You can throw them in your torture chamber, as you kind of mentioned, and you can either convert them. So you can actually convert enemies to join you if they sit in your torture chamber long enough. And generally what I'll do is I'll like put them in the torture chamber and then drop the mistresses in there because they expedite the process. So you can actually have them torture the enemy creatures. And if you heal them, over t eventually they'll just join you. They just give up and they're like, fuck it. Like, I can't deal with you. Like, I can't deal with this. And they join your faction. Otherwise, if they die in your torture chamber, you divulge information from them, such as map information. They can reveal secrets for you and other things that, that are pretty darn cool. Um, if they do join you, however... Your creatures don't really like being in the same dungeon with the opponent, right? So they end up just fighting. So you'll just have these moments where it's like, you know, the the I don't even know what the enemy creatures were called, but like let's just say it's like the the white the white knight I think is what they're called. The white knight is unhappy because he's amongst creatures that he doesn't like. Like it, the the, the announcer okay. will tell you that. And then eventually a brawl just happens, and your creatures <laughs> just beat the shit out of him until he gets knocked unconscious, and then he gets brought back to life, and it happens again. So it, it, it can be a, a positive, but also a negative if, if the creatures end up joining you um, because they can, they can create some, some tension within your dungeon. So um, <laughs> from, from my perspective, this game is very enjoyable because the early levels, it does a great job of limiting how much stuff you have. So you can kind of get an understanding of the, you can build a foundation of the game. And then as you progress levels, just like an RTS, they start adding on additional things, additional things. And eventually you get to later levels where you just have this expansive amount of buildings and creatures that you can accumulate and there are these different strategies that need to be implemented and they did a good variety of levels you remember in like commanding conquer and starcraft there were certain levels where you had a base and you would right. expand your base and you would build an army and then there were other levels where you didn't really have much of a base yeah. and you have fixed resources 
they do a good variety of that. So it, it creates um, some, some fun levels where you may not get to build a massive base. Maybe you're taking over the enemy's base. Maybe the entire objective of the level is instead of you actually building a base and mining gold, you're just like breaking down walls and finding the enemy's base and then slowly taking over their rooms and using their rooms to ultimately build a bigger and better army, um, which, which it was a really nice variety. And so I played through the game, I beat it, and the last level, the last boss, uh, the whole purpose of Dungeon Keepers is your, uh, well, I forgot to talk about this. So uh, one of the most iconic things from Dungeon Keepers is Horny. His name is Horny. He's like this uh, humanoid-looking demon. He has a scythe and he has hooves. And, does he have horns? Um, horny, he does. He has very large horns. Okay. And uh, in this one, you can summon him by using mana, and when he gets summoned, he just basically tears ass up. He's, he's very strong. Nice. Uh, but the whole purpose of the game is he wants to reach the surface. And this was the intention of to continue the series was to be above ground. Dungeon Keepers 1 and 2 were really trying to get above ground so you could take over the overworld. Um, so the last level, you fight the what's called the Lord of the Land. Lord of the Land is, is each level you have to fight a Lord, uh, a Lord of the Land. This guy was king of the land. And he's the oh, last shit. boss. And my god, this guy was so strong. I had a maxed out army, like max level creatures. I min-maxed very well. And he's a dual-wielding champion. And he destroyed my army the first time. I lost the level. I had to restart a few different levels throughout the campaign, actually. And these are not, like, short levels. We're talking, like, hour, 90 minutes in certain levels that I had to restart, which I actually didn't mind. They were really fun. Um, But the last boss just tore me up, man. He just ate me alive. He heals a lot, and he has an army with him, too. So you have to, like, slowly work your way in and figure out a strategy, which I ultimately did. And then after you beat him, there's actually another boss that I didn't see coming, uh, which that boss also tore me up entirely but i ended up summoning horny and beating him and the game ends with this really really uh horrible cutscene. it's very poorly designed but uh it's basically horny killing the last two bosses and then escaping to the overlord overall um so after you beat the game similar to rest of tier there is a new game plus there's more stuff you can do uh there's a thing called my pet dungeon where you can basically create your own creatures and do some other fun stuff and play some mini games like bowling and some other some other fun stuff um but yeah, so so with that being said, Dungeon Keepers 2, incredible game. Uh, definitely one of my favorite classic games of all time, very quickly. This game, I, I didn't I didn't dislike it as a child, but I always really appreciated Dungeon Keepers 1 more. I, I don't know why, it just, it really just didn't do anything for me. But playing it through this time, one of my favorite games, without question, uh, from, from, from older games. It was incredibly fun, the music's great. I, I was addicted to playing for, for at least like a week and a half until I beat it. Um, but with that being said, so my brother and I, after I beat it, because he watched me kind of play through it, we were looking to see what people have been doing with Dungeon Keepers. So I learned that there was a Dungeon Keepers MMO that failed. I didn't know that oh, was a wow, thing. Oh, wow, really? Uh, there was a third installment of Dungeon Keepers that flopped. And there is a community-created project. So the, they bought the rights from the people who originally created Dungeon Keepers, from Bullfrog, or from the, the people who originally created it. And they created their own project called War for the Overlord, Overworld. And it's uh, it's on Steam. And oh, I bought I've it. Heard it was like six, oh, you got six it. bucks. Yeah, super fun. Um, it's just a newer, updated, cleaner version, more balanced uh, version of Dungeon Keepers. And me and my brother have been playing it a ton. And it's very fun. Um, they did a great job of balancing. They added some new features to it, new creatures. Uh, they added new creatures and features. I know those words sounded very similar. Um, but yeah, it, it's very fun. I'm still exploring it a lot. I haven't played the campaign in it yet. I was a little burned out from playing Dungeon Keepers 2 as much as I did. So I'm taking a little bit of a breather from it. This and looks then really good. Campaign. It's really fun. And the community feedback has been great. The designers for it do a great job of balancing. There's PvP. There's co-op against AI. Holy shit. It, it has been a blast. And and uh, the balancing that they did in it is really good for both co-op and for PvP. 
So needless to say, we've been playing it quite a bit. Um, I intend to explore it a lot further because one of the issues we ran into is because we didn't play the campaign, we didn't really understand what certain creatures did, what uh, okay. certain buildings did, and kind of the meta that goes around it. Ultimately, what we ended up doing is there's like a strategy. There's like these new rooms we got, and you can build this alchemy room uh, that gets you XP potions. And we basically just bought, we each got a really powerful creature and just dumped XP potions on them until they're max level. And then, oh, <laughs> I forgot to mention, one of the most iconic portions about Dungeon Keeper is one of the spells is you can take first-person control of one of your creatures. So, oh, yeah, so you I can do that some, in the first one, right? Correct. Uh, yeah. So in the second one, I forgot to mention this. this it, it's one of my favorite parts about this. In the second one, I would generally take a creature and I would try to level them up very quickly, like a Mistress or a Gladiator or whatever they're called, Black Knight, I think they're called. And I would take control of them, and I would go to the enemy's base and just tear it up. Because in the second one, you can actually dodge attacks, you can dodge traps, and you can do a ton of damage if you actually... Because you have a variety of abilities for each character. Each creature type has its own unique set of abilities to where you can actually switch between them using the number keys and then actually do additional damage. So there's a lot more strategy when you take control of them that can allow you to do more and to do more damage. So for Dungeon Keepers 2, it was going from macroing to exploring the map to building your base to taking control of your creatures. And you can actually take control of your creature and go into the training room and train for them from a first-person perspective to level them up, which is something you couldn't do in the first one. Um, which that I forgot to mention. That's like the, one of the core things about Dungeon Keepers in general is just the ability to take control of your creatures from a first-person perspective. There's, there's a wide variety of other spells, but really it's just some obvious stuff. You can create imps, do damage with different spells, heal, all that fun stuff. Best part about it, obviously, is taking control of your creatures. Uh, so I was really happy to see that other people had felt so strongly about Dungeon Keepers and the fact that EA goofed it. Obviously, EA being a piece of shit that they are, they bought Dungeon Keepers in 2015, I think it was. They made some half-assed uh, mobile game that... Yeah they tried to make a bunch of money off of and it flopped and the community destroyed them. By the way, do you know what I learned last week? Do you know no. what the lowest rated game is on Metacritic? Oh no. <laughs> the lowest rated game. I don't know. Is that it? Warcraft 3 Reforged. <laughs> Not even surprised. Yeah. So if anybody, if there was any doubt in anybody's mind of how much, how much Blizzard sucks, uh, there's your answer right there. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> yeah, so uh, that's just kind of an off topic, but I remember that. But yeah, so uh, you know, as a person who is who gets obsessed with games for two weeks and then quits after it, <laughs> uh, I was really happy to see how big the community was for this game, and they patch it. They patch it a lot. So if anybody, I, I will tell you guys, if anybody buys that game, I would t- recommend wait to wait for it to be on sale because it goes down from like thirty dollars to six dollars on sale pretty pretty often. Uh, definitely buy it, and if you ever want to play, I'd be more than happy to because it's a it's a really fun game to teach people because it's. A very unique perspective. I mean, it really is. It's a, it's a it's an approach to a game that I haven't seen really done elsewhere to that uh, to that level. Okay, killer. Yeah, yeah, had a lot of fun. Would recommend. Nice. Okay, well, um, Jay, why don't we talk about our top fives? What you got? What we got? What do I got? Uh, top five is most accessible games, or how did you word it? Uh, well, well, not quite. Games broadest with the appeal. broadest appeal, yes. There you go. Um, so my thought was like games that that my parents could play, that I could play with them, type things. So that's kind of what I was. That's kind of uh, that, or like my wife who doesn't really play games, or you know, my daughter who does, but you know, something that would be accessible for her, kind of like what you said. So yeah, totally. go ahead. 
Uh, my number five is Mario Paint. I'll, we'll go with, a, with a, a throwback to the early classic. Mario Paint, it's a, I think it's a really accessible game for a lot of different reasons. Obviously, there's like the mini game, which is nice for people like you and I. The mini game meaning like the fly swatter game. But then you also have like the painting session, which is pretty cool for like kids. But then you also have the uh, music piece for like people who want to be a little bit more creative, a little bit more advanced. I feel like it's got a, it's got a pretty strong appeal to a, a wide variety of, of game of gamers. Gamers. <laughs> okay. Okay. Very nice. I'm gonna go with Tetris for my. Is that one? Is that too obvious? Like, is that even worth mentioning? I thought about it. No, it's, I don't think so. I mean, I, I think it's one of those games that, that people like, and some people, most people like. So I, I think it's fun. All right, Tetris. Then it's to me that was like so obvious that it might not even be interesting. But we'll we'll throw it in there just because I get you know I guess it belongs anyways. Um, just feel like it's one that everybody knows what Tetris is. Everybody knows how to play it. People who don't pl- who don't play games, they still enjoy it. There are people who play only Tetris, and that's just the only game that they really care about. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's kind of a that's that was the shoe in for me. Cool. My number four is Half Life. Okay. Uh, <laughs> my number four is Animal Crossing, the original Animal Crossing. Oh, How that's a good one. About? I can't believe yeah, I didn't I mean, think of that. New Animal Crossing is is just obviously extremely accessible for a, a very unique set of game set of video gamers. Uh, that I think uh, Animal Crossing, when the first one came out, it was just so fun for everybody for different reasons. You know, you could go in and make custom designs, you could pay off your debt, you could advance your city to an extent. Obviously, limited compared to where it is today. There, there's just a, a good reach of things that, and it has a collectathon element to it too. So it, it can reach a, a good good audience. I would say. Okay. Um, do, 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 do my number four is Mario, the original on an NES, uh, just because that was one that mostly for the time when it came out, everybody was kind of, you know, interested in what this new thing, you know, to a lot of people, the, the, this concept was new. Uh, this was kind of the first where it hit, you know, really hit mainstream homes, uh, it hit homes in a mainstream sort of way. And Mario was something that anybody could kind of just pick up and understand what was going on. Maybe have fun with it, maybe not. But everybody seemed somewhat kind of, uh, you know, you could show this to anybody again at the time. And they would at least be like, oh, okay, I kind of get that. I see what's going on and, you know, and, and give it a shot without just being lost. I dig it. I think we're going to have some Mario titles in this one. Probably. Uh, my number three is Paper Mario, actually. Paper Mario really? for the N64. Yeah, I always thought Paper Mario... So the reason that I, I was I was a little hesitant to put the platformers on there is because the, the platformers can be a little bit tough for people to get into, whereas I look at something like Paper Mario, which has a turn-based combat system, can be the, the right pacing for a lot of people. I also think the limitation... It has a very... Um, it, it's, it's You're kind of on a track throughout Paper Mario. It's pretty easy to understand where to go and, and how to do it. So I felt that that would be a good reach for a, a good a good variety of people. Okay. Uh, my number three is uh, here we go another we got another Mario one, Mario Party. Oh, we both have that good call. Yeah, basically any of them. I didn't even pick a specific one for this just because it's one that again anybody can play. You know the the one on Wii U and the one on Switch. My wife, I, me, and my wife and my daughter play that. That's kind of the most, as far as gamingness, interest in games go. That's the most diverse group you could have. My wife doesn't play games. My daughter does play games, but she obviously plays very different games from what I play. I play a bunch of games, and all of us 
can get together and play uh, Mario Party and have a lot of fun with it. Cool. Uh, number two with my with Mario Party as well. So I'm going to switch to one of my backups just so we can for the sake of conversation. Okay. Um, so my number two is going to be SimCity 2000. Uh, kind of kind of a reach, but at the same time, I feel like. I think SimCity, in a similar sense of like Animal Crossing, there's a good variety of things you can do in it, um, though obviously limited, that some people may enjoy more than others. So you can like basically have like a small city and just micromanage it, do some cool stuff with it. But at the same time, if, if people want to take it a little bit further, they can try and advance their city and progress it, a little, uh, progress it further to make, you know, Metropolis. Or if you want to be crazy, you can turn on the advanced weather features and just watch your city get brought to the ground and then try to survive, even though all that, that fun stuff's going on, so. Cool. That's a good one. My number, this list is going by really fast. My number two is Wii Sports. You know, again. So that was 2007. I was going to have that on here as well. Oh, actually. damn it. Yeah, I actually had that on here. because But I really like it. I, it. To me, it was like the most applicable answer to me personally. Yeah. Um, well, mine is out of our time range, but it's Wii Sports. Just because, again, it's one... Anybody can play, you know, well, I guess that explains all these, that describes all these, but uh, it was different because of the novelty of it. And it was, you know, you didn't even have to know anything about video games to understand that you, to bowl, you grab the Wii controller and roll and throw it like a bowling ball, you know, things like that. So uh, this was very easy to understand for people who might, you know, Otherwise, kind of say, oh, well, what buttons am I supposed to push to do this and that and this and that? Um, this didn't have that because you are using the motion controller. And it, and it, yeah, and it emulates I, real sports. I, I love I love this answer. For me, as I've talked about before, I have some very strong emotional attachments to Wii Sports just with my family and stuff. So, yeah, it's definitely one of those games that has a wide variety of things from simple things to more complex things to physically active things. Great, great answer. Really like it. All right, your number um, two. Hmm. I think it's my number one. Number actually. one, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I think it's your number one too. So my number one, since we took Mario Party out and Wii Sports doesn't fit, I had Pokemon going here, but obviously that's that's too uh, too too recent. Um, let's go with Luigi's Mansion. So another Mario game, unfortunately, but okay. I do think I think Luigi's Mansion is a, is a very simplistic game, but it has the right level of difficulty. And again, you're kind of on a track throughout it, so it keeps it pretty easy to know where you're going. Uh, the controls are a little wonky, which I think could probably turn some people off, but really think that, that uh, people who are new to gaming, advanced gamers, could find different reasons to enjoy this game. Okay. My number one is The Sims. Um, oh, good choice. Maybe not the, you know, maybe Wii Sports or Mario Party should have actually been number one, come to think of it. But regardless, it's a, uh, this is one that, my wife really got. Uh, this was before. This was just before we got married. But she really got into this game for a good few yeah, months. Same with Lisa. Really, and uh, and she doesn't play. She, as I said, she really doesn't play games. And so uh, I feel like this is one where again, it kind of it took. I, I think it's so accessible to to a wide variety of people because it doesn't. Well, it minimizes the kind of gaminess and it's just kind of like, Oh, just do, you know, have fun, decorate your house, you know, get a job and I'll do all this kind of stuff. Obviously you can, you can get more or less aggressive with how much you want to kind of like quote, max out your character as much as you want. Yep. But, um, but, but it all comes ultimately comes down to, you know, just kind of do whatever you want and just, just have fun with it and make your own little house and family and stuff. And I think that's why it kind of, 
has has such broad appeal. Great answer. Okay, well, that's the, probably the fastest top five we've ever done. But uh, with that done, oh, so the next top five is going to be games. Is going to be uh, the top five happiest classic games. Um, games with just a very happy overall feel. Everything's happy in them. It makes you happy to play them. Kingdom Hearts. Shut up. It's not. That's not. That's that's the opposite, actually, of what we're of what we're going for. Um. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Games that make you happy to play because they're filled with happy thingies. How's that? I like it. Okay. Um, email us. Mail at Classic Gaming Podcast with your list of top five happiest games if you would like. And uh, with that, we will move into emails. I'll jumpstart us off here. We got we got a banger from uh, from Sven. Sven says, well, I assume I haven't read it. I assume it's going to be a banger. He says, uh, good afternoon, Rob and Jay. After a while of not writing in, I think it is time to send you another one of my convoluted mails with random stuff concerning the CGP. Perfect. Let me start with my contribution to this episode's top five list. At first, I thought this would be quite easy, but I must say I struggled quite a bit. Actually, it seems most games have titles that somehow fit the game. Even, oh, okay, this is, for, this is for the last episode. Even if the title, per se, is pretty bad, like Beat 'em and Eat 'em. So, in the end, I had to pick. So, this is. So, the list he's doing is top five games with the least fitting titles. He says, So, in the end, I had to pick some games of which only part of the title doesn't seem to fit. I'm sure there are better ones, but here's my list. Number five, The Last Ninja for Commodore, Commodore 64. He says, while you are in fact playing a ninja character, there can be no question of you being the last of all the ninjas as you are fighting dozens of other ninjas throughout the game. That's actually pretty good. Final Fantasy 2. This along the same line as my number five. How can there be a second, third, fourth Final Fantasy? Yep. Kind of talked about that. Battlefield 1. The thing not fitting here is obviously the number. To this day, I have no explanation for the fact that people who are about to release the 10th installment of their game series actually made the conscious and deliberate decision to attach the number one to it. Sure. The shit had already hit the fan with them numbering the third game in the series battlefield two after, after, after battlefield 1942 and battlefield Vietnam, but to me coming up with battlefield one after parts two, three and four had already been released takes the cake without a doubt. Yeah, that's pretty egregious. I would agree. Number two, Another Commodore 64 game, Fernando Martin Basket Master. <laughs> who, who the hell is Fernando Martin? What the hell is a Basket Master? Okay, it is a basketball game, but the title the title without the help of the actual box art seems to raise more questions than it answers. That's a good one. Uh, and another, another Commodore 64 game, Fort Apocalypse. There is neither... Any kind of fort in the game, nor does it have anything to do with the apocalypse. You control a helicopter flying through a sort of maze, shooting other helicopters and tiny flashy things while trying to rescue people. There's another almost identical game for the C64 called Choplifter. 
more fitting if you ask me. That I've was, heard that title. Those are really good ones. He says, how about the opposite of top five games with the most fitting titles? Uh, his list is soccer, baseball, golf, tennis, and volleyball, all for the NES. Very nice, Sven. Uh, yeah, I get a kick out of those old games that are just named just the name of the sport. Now for a few random bits. I'm not sure I recall all the details correctly, but I remember an episode in which Jay told the story of his two smaller brothers playing Mario Party. <laughs> They're too small. I have one older one younger. Yeah. Okay, one older one younger. The older brother had up to this point always won every single game, yet this one time he was about to lose, which is why he unplugged the system, resulting in an outburst of rage and tears by the youngest brother. Both of you agreed He still is upset about it now. <laughs> Both of you agreed this was a very mean and horrid thing to do, and that the youngest was robbed of his victory. But I think I disagree here. As I also have an older brother who always won at everything against me. Yet, when I got older and the time came that I could beat him, he did similar things as Jay's middle brother, uh, whichever one. For example, one day when I was about to beat him at a board game, he threw the board together with all the pieces and cards from the table in a fit of rage and stormed off. I didn't cry and neither was I angry. This was a forfeit win. This was him admitting that he didn't see any chance of beating me. This was him losing his face and temper because I was winning against him. Much more sweet and satisfying than actually winning. Giving up any sort of game before it is really over is the most pathetic and miserable thing one can do and it gives the winning party the opportunity and also the the right to constant trash talk them. Wouldn't you agree? I would agree, except for the fact that my younger brother was like seven or six at the time, so he didn't understand that much of it. Yeah, when you're, so, seven, when you're seven or six, yeah. you just want to see the victory screen, right? Yep. And my brother was, my older brother was probably 16, so yeah. <laughs> you're not winning that. And from that point on, like anytime you bring it up, well, it didn't count. Well, it didn't count. You didn't actually win. You didn't count. It didn't count. And it just drove my brother nuts. Mm-hmm. Still to this day, I bring it up every once in a while, though. So I, but tried- I can understand your point. Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get what he's saying too. But when you're a little kid, it's like, no, you gotta let me get to the end. I want to see the, I want to see say I win. So I tried, and so I failed quite miserably. After some practice, I sure made it. Oh wait, sorry, I skipped that entire paragraph. Let's start over. Next random bit. I recently watched a bunch of videos listing the top ten most difficult games out of curiosity. I was surprised to find that Mike Tyson's punch out for the NES was to be found in most lists sometimes even being one. I knew I beat the game back in the day and didn't think much of it. Sure, it took some practice, but it didn't feel like any sort of accomplishment. Having beaten several other modern games featured in top 10 lists like Dark Souls or Sekiro, I wanted to find out how I would do at Punch-Out, reckoning it wouldn't be much of a challenge. I had beaten it as a 12-year-old, so it wouldn't be much of a problem as an adult, so I tried, and so I failed quite miserably. (laughs) (laughs) After some practice, I sure made it to the last circuit, but... There, I got stuck at every single fighter for a long time. Mr. Sandman took me at least an hour to beat. Super Macho Man took at least three. And Tyson, I beat only luckily on the fifth evening of trying. So, okay, so he did eventually beat it. Have you experienced something similar that you played a game you were sure you would beat easily, that you were sure you beat easily as a child, but now seemed almost impossible? Jay? Yeah, Punch-Out is definitely one of them, too. I never beat Punch-Out, but I got to Mike Tyson. I, I think I did. I, I got to, like, the, I think the last circuit when I was a kid, 
And it's it's such a pain in the ass. It's so much time to try and get back to there now. I don't know that I've had this exact experience, but I have had situations where um, I had this when I went back and played the you know the original Super Mario Brothers as well as the original Legend of Zelda. Sure. Good call. Where they didn't they weren't necessarily easy for me at the time, nor had I beaten them. But I but I went into them thinking, oh, you know, it's two thousand whatever it was when I was playing. You know, when I went back, I've played a shitload of games. You know, I've become really good at some. You know, a few particular games. This one's going to be a piece of cake. This game's 30 years old and I've got 30 years of gaming experience now. And then I go and start playing it and it's actually kind of challenging. If not, in some cases, it's hard. Um, so that's that's the, that's the most similar experience that I've had. He says, um, in my final question of the day, which video game character would you have join your side in a bar fight? Samus? That's a good one. Um, how about oh, Donkey Kong, hundred percent. Well, that's a good one. What if there's no barrels though? Don- he doesn't. He- barrels would be nice, but he doesn't necessarily need them. Um, let's see. My number. He says my number one choice would be Juggernaut from X Men vs Street Fighter Arcade, being more than double the size and probably ten times the weight of any normal human being. This tank would surely mess up any opposition. My honorable mention would be Hanukkah from, or Honoka, I don't know how you pronounce it, from Dead or Alive 6. She has outstanding fighting skills too, and there'd be the chance of picking her up afterwards. Oh my god. <laughs> that's enough. A win-win situation, so to speak. That's it for that's it for another mess of an email. Sorry for blabbering too, too, too long, Sven. Thanks, Sven. <laughs> Thanks, Sven. Um... Here's one from this. This is one from uh, Steve. Steve says, Ahoy, stumbled across your show via drunk friend podcast and have thoroughly enjoyed your show. Thank you, Steve. Yeah, thanks and welcome. Great stuff. I love the format and approach you have to games. I even dipped into some of your early stuff, which leads me to my question. Uh-oh. What's a good guide for Final Fantasy Tactics? My PSP copy has been sitting in a drawer for a few years after a few rough starts what content is out there to help show me the ropes i tried youtube wow. but only really found let's plays and i would like to avoid spoilers hope you're all well and keeping healthy keep up the great work steve so first off thanks for thanks for right again thanks for joining us we definitely appreciate it um guides for it that's interesting i i don't i don't know that i would that I've ever used it. Like I have the player's guide, which, you know, that's whatever. That's not going to give you what you're looking for. YouTube was going to be my first answer, but if you're finding mostly let's plays, that's tough. Um, I would go for, I would look up some, some guides on game facts, game FAQs. That's always yeah, been those my are go- gonna be generally pretty far in depth. Aren't they? Huh? Aren't they going to be a little bit too far in depth? Cause I think he's looking for like an introductory kind of beginner thing. I don't know, so I, I I'm not sure, but I imagine there's probably a lot for this one, and I and I've found a, a lot of guides on there that that while they do go very in depth, they also have a lot of introductory stuff, like you know, here's a guide to classes and jobs, and you know what you might might want to be true. going for. That's true. So that's what um, I would do, or you know, maybe just do Google search for best Final Fantasy tactics jobs or something like that so you kind of know what you might want to level your your guys up to i for me personally 
I didn't use any guides on my playthrough. Um, okay, good guy. I mean, I, I don't I'm really think... I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. If, yes, if you want to pick the best jobs and classes and all that stuff, sure, use a guide. But you don't, this isn't a game where you have to pick all the best everything. Like I know that is the case with a lot of old RPGs and a lot of old Final Fantasy games in particular. But in this one, I don't feel like I ever... You know, screwed my it's, game over. It's a pretty me. hard game. I don't know. If, if the first time I played through it, I got stuck at one of the bosses. I almost said his name. Uh, at one of the bosses, and I got stuck because you have to save right before it. So I don't know. Like what I would say is, is a couple of couple brief suggestions. Um, take your time in the first battle to understand the mechanics of the game. Understand that fall damage exists because you can push people or hit them, and they can fall off and take damage. Uh, positioning is key. So if you're next to some, if you're facing them dead on, you have a lower hit chance than you would on the side or on the back in particular. And the third one is chemists are very strong. Level your character, level majority of your characters with chemist early on because that expands the tree into multiple different classes. And you can hit your own characters to gain experience and then use a potion on them to gain experience as well. And JP, which is job points. Um, those are some really good beginner tips. And if you want to write in each week and let us know your progress, we'd love to hear it. And I can give you some more some additional chip tips each week. I'd be happy to. I do remember chemists be, being very strong. Yeah. And, and spells can hit your own creatures. So if you cast a fire spell on a, on the ground, or if you cast it on somebody and they run next to one of your creatures or one of your, your units, you can actually hurt yourself with spells and you can vice uh, on the other side, you can heal enemies if they jump in the circle. So just keep that in mind. What's a class that you would say sucks to just not even worry about and just avoid. Um, um, I don't know. I mean, like, White Mage is fine. It's kind of okay. It has some okay spells. Black Mage is great. Monk is really strong because obviously it doesn't require weapons. Thief is, is good early on but falls off pretty quick. Okay. Uh, but also leads into, like, ninja and stuff. Summoner is kind of hard to use. So if it's your first time playing, Summoner are pretty tough. Uh, but I think generally most of the classes are pretty darn good. They have their, they have their unique cases and there's some pretty cool pretty cool uh, synergies you can create with your, uh, your, your other units. Okay. Yeah. I'm really excited to hear what you have to say about it. The PSP version is the version that I suggest the most. I hope you enjoyed the, the cutscenes and the, the dialogue. The dialogue is really great in that version. All right. Thank you, Steve. Next one is from Chuck. Chuck says, Hey guys, enjoy the podcast recently after 40 year at 40 years old. With a wife and two kids, ages six and four, I don't have as much time for gaming as I'd like. For our anniversary, my wife got me a Switch Lite. I can usually get in an hour or two every night. Even nice. though there are, yeah, that is nice. Even though there are classic game collections and releases for every console now, it seems like Nintendo is really leaning into the classic gaming nostalgia. There's just a lot of options if you want to play the old games, although some of them are conspicuously absent, presumably because of license licensing issues. Um, in addition to these games included with the Nintendo online subscription, I bought the street fighter 30th anniversary collection, the mega man X legacy collection and the Sega Genesis collection carts. Don't judge me. There was a sale. Hey, you're not going to get judged. That was good. I might eventually get the standard switch because my six-year-old daughter has shown an interest in playing. She was so excited the first time she finished the first stage on Super Mario World. It would be fun to be able okay. to play stuff together. Yeah. Like Mario Kart and Smash. It's a lot of fun for me because I haven't owned a Nintendo system since the SNES. 
although I played a friend's N64. Here's some quick thoughts on a couple of the games I've, been, I've played so far. Streets of Rage for Sega Genesis. Standard beat-em-up. Played through the boss on the fourth level before running out of lives and continues. Didn't try to fool with save states and didn't realize the point that the Sega Genesis collection has a rewind function. Regardless, I doubt I would have used any of that because it's just a beat-em-up and I assume every stage is the same. I kind of feel the same way, uh, Chuck, about Streets of Rage. Going back to it yeah. doesn't really hold up. We just played that recently. Huh? We just played Well, Rage we played Streets of Rage 4. Yeah, yeah, I don't know what I'm saying in general. I, 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 I liked Streets of Rage 4, though. I thought it was uh, pretty enjoyable. Yeah, I, I was. I enjoyed it, but I think it's kind of repetitive in nature. Oh, sure, yeah. I don't yeah. feel like the game gets much more to it, yeah. Um, there he says there were two things that frustrated me. First, you really don't know what the reach or hit zone of any enemy is until they hit you, and some have longer reach than others. So standard trial and error, but I don't have patience for that. Second, if you attack someone that's holding a weapon, they drop it, and then the next time you push the attack button, you pick up the weapon and open yourself to attack. Mm. Yeah. All that being said, it's a it's a fine beat 'em up, but I prefer Final Fight or licensed property beat beat 'em ups like TMNT or countless other ones for SNES. Cool. Um, so other thoughts. He says Golden Axe, Sega Genesis, crap. Don't waste time. Sound effects especially bad. This makes me sad because that was one of my favorite games on the Sega Genesis. But I have a feeling he's not wrong. Altered Beast. Rubber said it all in a previous episode. Fun for about half an hour. Not worth a ton of time. Uh, Link to the Past. It's fine. Mm-hmm. I would rather play it than either of the NES Zelda games, but I like Link's Awakening better, which I had on Game wow. Boy. I also, uh, let's see. I also have started playing Mega Man X. I had this for SNES when I was a kid. It holds up if you like Mega Man. The graphics look really good on Switch. Movement is very smooth and precise. There are all kinds of special features for the collection. I've beaten four of the eight evil robots. I like these games. Nice. Because I can just give a little time to it and then put it down. Uh, he says, all that being said, nothing in Mega Man X is as memorable as the opening screen music in Mega Man 2 on the NES. Oh, I have to hard agree with you on that one. Mega Man 2 has a fantastic opening screen, particularly the music. Classic games with broad appeal in no particular order. Tetris, of course. He says, everyone played it. My mom played Tetris and she never played any other games. She even bought a Game Boy just for Tetris. Um, had the broad appeal that stuff like Solitaire for Windows or Candy Crush does today. Oh, yeah. Duck Hunt. Again, this is a game that even my mom and dad played. The light gun was fun and everyone laughed at trying to shoot the damn dog. Guitar Hero. I don't know if this sneaks into the period allowed, but I googled it. It was on my radar, too. He says it was released November 2005, so I guess it counts. Okay. My wife does not like gaming at all, but she liked Guitar Hero. Uh, a lot of people, who, uh, a lot of people who otherwise didn't get into gaming, loved Guitar Hero as well. Madden, uh, I thought about this one. Madden, I think that all the EA sports games from the late '90s, early 2000s, but especially Madden, got a lot of people playing on consoles that otherwise would not have been. When I was in college, every guy I knew played Madden and NCAA football. Yeah, that's pretty much same here. Um, people who would otherwise never pick up a controller got into them. I don't know if it was cross appeal in age groups or sexes, but there was definitely just among guys in the college in the early 2000s, whether they were gamers or not. Solitaire for Windows. Do I really need to explain it? That's a good one that I didn't think of. Yeah, same. The pinball game for Windows. Yeah, the little pinball one. Honorable mentions, Super Mario Brothers, Pac-Man. He says, and then then, uh, 
games based on board games or card games or game oh, shows. Yeah, good one. Wheel of Fortune, Jeopardy, Monopoly. Current gaming sub email, Breath of the Wild is great. That's all. Thanks for oh, the yes. podcast. Look forward to listening in the future, Chuck. Chuck, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Yeah, welcome. Thank you. Um, here's one from... Oh, this is... You remember... Do you remember Travis talking about the guy that he's going to have the uh, burger eating competition with? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Burger Champ has written in an email. Ooh. Burger Champ says, Long-time listener, first-time caller. Hey, guys. This is Burger Champ. Burger Champ, we've heard a lot about you. I was excited to, I was excited to hear the drunk friends on your last show. That episode closed a circle because your podcast is how I discovered SNES drunk a couple years ago. Oh, that's awesome. I binged your podcast a few summers ago while doing work around the house and in the yard. I heard SNES drunk on your podcast, subscribed soon after, drunk friend got started, and here I am waiting for the pandemic to end so I can swat fools that believe they know how to eat burgers. <laughs> <laughs> Discussion. What franchise... Okay, I thought this was going to have something to do with burgers, but no, that's totally new, new topic. Discussion. What franchise's characters would you like to see in a Street Fighter 2 style fighting game? If you could choose two Ooh. developers to do a Capcom versus SNK style fighter... Which rosters uh, would you choose? Ooh, Final Fantasy would be up there, but they've already done some of them. Yeah, but they haven't done. Okay, but yeah, but that's like a much different. That's not a Street Fighter Two style fighting game. That's kind of a totally different thing. So I think you could still. I think that's valid. You could use. I don't know if that would be my choice, but you could definitely do Final Fantasy. Um, Warcraft's another one, but the problem is he said the developers would be involved, which makes me really uncomfortable. Okay, let's forget about the developer uh, part then, and just <laughs> two... It would probably be Warcraft for me. I think it'd be so cool to see those fantasy characters in a Street Fighter-style game. I think it'd be really fun to watch. I would like... Visually, one. I okay, really that's good. I think I would like one with a bunch of LucasArts point-and-click adventure characters. Oh, interesting. I don't know. But none of, basically, none of them are suited for... Well, I guess they kind of are. They're not perfectly well suited for a fighting game, but just because I like those characters, I think that would be neat. Uh, I'm trying to think of... You know, like, it's like all the good ideas have kind of been done. There's yeah. Nintendo characters, of course. There's a... There's a... There's a... Ninja Turtles one that was done. There's a Star Wars one has been poorly done, but it's been done. Um... Trying to think of any other franchise that would be interesting to see. But like what's funny too is I know Super Smash Brothers is not the same concept, but Smash Brothers has included so many characters from a right, variety right. of different different franchises. Um uh, yeah, I'm kinda stuck past just saying uh point and click guys. I think it's a decent I think it's an interesting answer. I think it'd be kinda cool to see. What about what, come up with. what about the, the the driver characters from the Twisted Metal series? Ooh, that would be interesting. I would be down to play that, especially if it was like the Twisted Metal Black, like the really fucked up, kind of demented perspective. Yeah, you wouldn't be able to play it though because it has a clown. Nah, I'm not that scared of clowns. Yes, you are. Don't tell the clowns though. <laughs> 
All right. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Burger Champ. And I look forward to yeah. uh, this burger showdown. 100%. You guys got to film it. Eventually. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. All right. We got two more. Next one is from James Hoosier. He says, hey, fellas, Final Fantasy Tactics. Jay. Wow. I'm about five hours in. You're getting, you're getting Jay, you're like the Final Fantasy uh, Tactics go-to guy. He says, Jay, I'm about five hours in to my first run on Final Fantasy Tactics. Congratulations. War, War of the Lions, the PSP version. Good choice. It's great so far. I can sense how deep the mechanics are, and I'm looking forward to exploring them. Do you have any gameplay tips or recommended strategies for a first-time player? That's, I'm just laughing because it's almost <laughs> the exact same question. <laughs> uh, beyond what I said before, I, I think those are some some really good tips. Um, definitely, you definitely spend your gil wisely. You only have a fixed amount of gil, kind of better money based on. Uh, how many battles you do early on. So grinding is, if you get stuck, grinding is obviously key because you can just sit there and grind mobs and, and build gold or gil and then obviously get some crazy levels. Um, but items make a big difference, especially accessories. Boots in particular make a big difference. Boots increase your character's movement speed by a certain amount. I forgot about that. Jump higher. <laughs> what? It's just funny that boots are such an important item. Uh, boots are so crazy. Boot, boots early on are, are massive because it makes your creature, your characters move further. And when you have like characters that don't have a lot of move speed, such as like a caster, it's crazy when they can move that extra space. Um, other accessories are really important. But you can't really get a lot of them early on. Um, beyond that, understand that the different characters that visit. So your party size, I believe is five. It's five in a non main battle and five, Four, I think it's either four and five or five and six. But anyways, you always, so when you're not doing the main story battles, you'll have an extra character slot generally because that character slot is generally filled with guests like Delita or Argus uh, or the other characters that are involved. So just kind of keep that in mind is you're going to have this floating extra character that sometimes will be decently high level. So what I would say is neglect that character more than the rest of them. So if you're in a mm-hmm. battle and your other characters can get the opportunity to get some additional experience, maybe tell that guy to take a hike, go for a walk. And just have your other characters absorb as much experience as possible. Oh yeah, I do remember that kind of, especially when it gets down to one guy left. Just you know, yeah. don't kill him right away. Let, let like everybody just take turns punching. Leech him a little bit, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good approach. I'm glad here uh, you're playing the PSP version. Would love to hear your feedback on it as well. Okay, uh, Railroad Tycoon Two, Rob. Where'd you go, Robert. Rob, you mentioned Railroad Tycoon 2. I'm having a little trouble getting that out. A few episodes ago, and I just wanted to reach out and say thanks and to second your recommendation to your listeners. Railroad Tycoon 2 has a really effective core gameplay loop, fun and varied scenarios, and a couple of great campaign modes. The campaigns lets you skip missions, which is awesome if you're banging your head up against a wall and there's a ton of flexibility in the difficulty settings. My one gripe is that a lot of scenarios require the player to get the highest personal wealth which requires effectively playing the stock market, which I just plain cannot do. Aside from that, it's great and gives me the feeling of that one. It gives me that feeling of one more turn I get when I play a round of Civilization or Stardew Valley, but at a fraction of the cost, five dollars on GOG. Good. I'm glad that you liked it, James. Shout out to GOG. Yeah, shout out to GOG. I'm glad you liked it, and uh, yeah, I, I really and obviously, as you know, I really like that game as well. Uh, I want to play the third one is supposed to be different, but also very good. Still, I, I do hope to play that one sometime soon as well. Uh, top five games with the broadest appeal to try to keep this interesting. I chose genres and listed one game that is quite famous and popular. 
uh, in creating my list, I, oh, and one that is a little less hard. In creating my list, I considered skill required, game mechanics, and character appeal. Number five, uh, okay, so he's just listing, uh, this is what he said, but I didn't quite catch it at first. He's just listing genres. Number five, mascot-driven platformers. Easy, Super Mario Brothers, hard, Spyro, Year of the Dragon. These make the list because main characters are designed to appeal to all ages and the gameplay mechanics are straightforward. Okay. They rank low because they require a level of precision and skill with a controller that people who don't grow up playing games might find difficult to master. Spyro feels like an unsung gem in the retro community. Compared I am glad to hear you say that. I love playing Spyro. You big Spyro fan? I haven't played Spyro. Yeah, I talked about it within the last couple of months. Yeah, because they did the re-release. I played. I think I played through all of them last year, or earlier this year for the podcast. Even. Oh, really? Yeah, the Dragon's a really fun game. Okay. It's your basic collectathon, but I really enjoyed it. I mean, you get to play a purple dragon, so true. That's it breathes cool. fire. Oh, damn! And it has dragonflies that kick it with them. That's cool. Uh, number four, arcade racers. Easy, outrun, hard, beetle adventure racing. Oh, I had that. Though these games have few enticing characters, they make up for by being focused on driving, skill that most adults already have and kids are keen to learn. Outrun is a stone-cold classic, but my heart is with Beetle Adventure Racing with its spunky car and fun secret routes, plus four-player compatibility. Would we say that most, dri- most adults could drive? Because have you been to Arizona? <laughs> Good point. Uh, yeah, I grew up in Memphis, and Memphis is pretty terrible for uh, for drivers as well. Number three, Kart Racers. Easy, Mario Kart, Hard, Diddy Kong Racing. Ooh. Kart Racers have the best parts of the mascot-driven platformer that is the mascots and the arcade racer that is driving jammed into one. As a bonus, you get to hit your cartoon friends with cartoon weapons. This is actually a really good one. Diddy Kong is an absolute hidden classic. If you, It lets you choose carts, hovercraft, or planes. Yep. That's cool. Its appearance has also aged better than its contemporary Mario 64, in my opinion. Extremely frustrating, though. Is it? Oh, God, yeah. Number two, action puzzle games. Easy, Tetris, Hard, Breakout, slash Arkanoid. These games have dead simple mechanics as well as engaging and addictive gameplay. You can also play them on virtually any platform. They lack compelling characters, uh, settings, and competition, however, which keeps them out of number one. Number one, motion-controlled sports games. Yep, there we go. Easy Wii Sports, Hard Connect Sports. Friendly competition, create your own characters, absolutely zero, zero video game knowledge required to play. Excuse me. Connect Sports turns 10 this year, so it's scraping the limits of retro gaming. But how can you beat the appeal of a game with no controller, where you just pretend to play sports and it works? My top five list of top five lists I would like to hear and participate in, with apologies if they've already been done... Five games that elicit the strongest emotions for you during gameplay. <laughs> Positive Four. or negative. <laughs> Four games you should play only once. Ooh, that's actually kind of interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. Games you desperately want younger players to know about and play. It's also good. Yeah. These are kind of good. You don't like that one? I, I I just don't really like that. Like it, it, it maybe like I'm looking at the wrong perspective. My thought is like, oh, you know, like people criticize new games, like oh, old games were the best type thing. Like that, that's the way I feel like that comes off a little bit in my mind. Oh, uh, okay, I get what you're saying. No, I didn't really read it that way, but um, okay. I do know. I'm just screwing into too much. I do feel the same way about that kind of thing, but yeah, um, kind of cringy. 
Yeah, kind of cringy. Like, oh, you're not a real gamer until you play. Yeah. 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 Um, but no, I I think he's kind of saying like you would just like people to to know about this game. Early. I see. I see. Okay. Um, or you know, or or play it, be somewhat familiar with it. Uh, number two, side characters who deserve their own games. I think we may Ooh. have done that one. I think we have actually. Yeah, that's a good one. And number one, best games to add to a theoretical mini console, such as the N64 mini, PS2 mini. Yeah, I think we've done that for like every... Yeah, <laughs> but it's so fun. It is. Okay, thank you, James, for the email. Yep. Final one. Jay, um, you want to take... Can, you think you can take... Yeah, yeah. Can you do one? Yeah. Robert and I are, are getting to the point where both of our voices are starting to fade, so... Yeah. I'm going to see if I can just paste it right into our Discord. Uh, I'm going to from Chase the Night Cleaner. Just throw it out there. Okay, just... Apparently it has to send it to you as a text message. Yeah, yeah it is from Chase. Alright, Chase says, Hello gentlemen, Chase the Night Cleaner here with a particularly fun discovery for you. And by you, I mean Robert. So, okay. Robert, I know you don't shy away from the more, the more sexually progressive games out there. I know. You bear the burden of suffering through games like Honey Pop and Sex Picture Reveal Games. Well, I have what may be the goldmine of sex gaming innovation. No. I present to you AI Shoju slash AI. I have provided a link for reference on Steam. Is that AI or, I can't tell if it's AI or Al. I think it's on the text it's saying AI. It's okay. ready to get us capital. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Um, um, everyone wanted to get away. Oh, here's here's seventy dollars. Jesus. Uh, <laughs> so his sales pitch is: everyone wanted to get away from it all. Well, here's your chance. In AI shows you a tropical island paradise filled with a survival simulator where you create your own partner and live on the island. I will let you look at the game futures at your own pace. But the true worth of this game, which I haven't played yet, but it's on my wish list. If only so I can visit and remember what I saw. The real reason I looked into this game is for some Steam comments and reviews. Do yourself a favor and read a few out loud. I promise you can't get through more than four without hitting that that one that is unshamedly and honestly describing what the person uses this game for or intends to use this game for. No. I don't ever have to play this game so long as I come back and read these comments. Oof. Read a few. So he wants us to read a few of the game's reviews on Steam? I think so. Okay. All right. I'll do it. If you need a name, let me know. I'll do it for you. Huh? You sound so upset. You're so funny. Here's one. Day one, woke up on an island with a strange girl. Day two, explored island with girl. I think she likes me. Day three, ended up holding hands with the girl. <laughs> he, the O on holding is censored out to an asterisk for some reason. What? <laughs> Day four, she clipped through the river geometry and now I can't find her. Day five, downloaded the same girl but with a bigger chest. <laughs> what's Um, the name of it is it shows you oh you don't have here here's here's this here's the link i have it in his email oh my god just the photo yeah i know somebody's review just says almost done creating my wife (laughs) i'm not i'm honestly i'm sorry chase i'm not nothing standing out Besides, you have to pay additional money per month. It's seventy dollars plus five dollars for additional content. Oh, I mean the negative reviews. You gotta be fucking kidding. 
It, it is, is a good game. Just <laughs> buy it and enjoy a enjoy a dream of living with girls. I just I was just about to read the exact same one. It's good at combining survival and hentai features. Good girl mode. <laughs> good girl mode. Oh. Okay. I think we get we got it. I'm looking for one more good one. Hold on. Still less expensive than a real girlfriend. <laughs> Alright, I'm done. That's All good. Right. That's perfect. Got it. That's that's fine. That's that's Oh it. my god. Thanks, Chase. That's yeah, classic. We appreciate that. Uh, Alright. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh Chase goes on to say, uh, which brings me to the question of the day. What is one thing you have written on the old internet that you find deeply deeply embarrassing but can't get rid of it? Oh yeah, as if we're gonna tell you that, you're gonna find it. He says, do you have an old live journal you can't log back into? Or MySpace that still has notes and pictures you cannot remove? Yeah, the latter of that, too, is definitely true. My sister made my MySpace profile, which here's the best part. So my sister, uh, she's wonderful. She's a wonderful human being. She made my MySpace, and we had played Final Fantasy VII together. Uh, she titled my MySpace. You ready for this, Robert? You ready for this? <laughs> okay. I cried when Tifa died. That was the name of the, of, of the MySpace profile. She, Holy she shit, that's awesome. It. I, I, everybody's going to find out, but uh, yeah, well, here's the best part. Tifa doesn't die, right? So that's, that's kind of the meme that she didn't even realize that she did. So my MySpace account that I can't delete because I don't have the email address and neither does she still exists and it's titled, I cried when Tifa died. Nice. That's yeah, a pretty good one. Um, I mean, I don't think I have anything that I've written on the internet that's particularly embarrassing. I was embarrassed by some of the articles we wrote, but those are all gone now, thank God. For EG? Yeah, some of the ones that wrote, especially early on, were, were they not good. good? I, I think all no, of them especially early on, I'm just new to it. Um, the I mean, this isn't really what he's asking, but the only thing that I can think of is that uh, when I was probably like ten, I got not ten, not permaban, but like temporarily banned from the message boards on prodigy because i drew ascii boobs <laughs> in a forum post that's all i got that's amazing um okay anything else that's yeah i don't think there's anything like nothing out there that's like oh this is so embarrassing I somebody's just, gonna find something i'm gonna laugh oh, i'm sure find you. i'm sure uh, he said, oh, he continues on a little bit more. Or maybe buried somewhere deep in your, on your Facebook, there's a collection of notes, public or private, just waiting to be rediscovered because even if the features are all gone, those entries will live forever. I still have a live journal that I haven't used in over a decade, and there are pictures of me on MySpace I can't delete. Yep, right there. <laughs> also, I used to write game reviews for my university paper, and some of them weren't awesome. Uh, he goes on to say, and that's all I have for this week, gentlemen. As always, thank you for oversharing and also for providing this wonderful section of your podcast. I hope you visit the Steam site again, maybe a few episodes from now, and just pick some review comments at random. I know I will. As always, thanks for all that you do, and please don't worry about the mess. That's what they pay me for. Cheers. Very, Thank you, Chase, as always. Very nice. Yeah, I'm just not seeing a ton. Somebody's, oh, here's one. It's a thumbs up, and the review says porn. Perfect. I mean, that makes sense, right? Yep. Here we go. Do you like Animal Crossing? Do you like porn? <laughs> Is that in any case, he says, don't answer that. I have seen what the internet has to offer on that front. In any case, you're in luck. This is basically Animal Crossing Light, complete with 
gathering, crafting, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm, I'm assuming somewhere in here he's going to say it's also porn. One-handed increased to 100. <laughs> hentai, here we go. There's. I think we're getting to the ones that Chase was talking about. Last one. Uh, hentai waifu bang game, but this time with base building. <laughs> Alright. Jay, you can buy it and tell us about how it is. Call me, you know me. Alright, thank you everybody who wrote in. Once again, mail at Classic Gaming Podcast if you want to write in. Uh, Our top five is top five... What's our top five? Happiest games. (laughs) And then, with that said, Current Gaming Subcast, you got anything, Jay? Um... No, actually, we've been kind of running around looking for some different games to play. Nothing, nothing worthwhile. I uh, I played <clears throat> Deep Rock Galactic, and it was somehow I had not heard of this. It's a pretty fun game. So it's it's a first person shooter. You are these dwarves in outer space, and you work for this mining company, and they're basically sending you to this planet uh, to to mine out every, every time you go, you have a different mission. It's like, Oh, retrieve this or that, or mine certain amount of this mineral or find these alien eggs or whatever. Basically you're going in your mining. It's, it's a multiplayer game. So you play in groups of four online and this is on steam and, uh, you launch into your mission. You, you land in this dig site and then you start digging around for whatever it is that you're looking for. But then every once in a while, you'll dig in somewhere or you'll do something or sometimes just randomly, this will happen. A big giant swarm of these giant kind of spider-like creatures start coming at you. And there's other monsters, too, that come sort of like Left for Dead style is what I've seen it compared to. Okay. Where it's just hordes of monsters coming at you and you just basically have to fight them off and survive. And then you fight them off and then you, and then it goes back to you mining around and looking for whatever it is you're trying to complete your actual mission. It's a really really cool game. They the, the developer they apparently came out in I think 2015. They did an awesome job creating a really cool atmosphere. A game that doesn't take itself too seriously. It's kind of not really cartoony graphics, but it's a, it maybe leans a little bit more to, leans a little bit towards cartoony, but it's also really serious like when you're just swarmed by these by these monsters and stuff and also it's it's really like it's really cool feeling where so everything's really dark and you have to toss flares around to uh to see what's going on and it's cool when you kind of get to a new room and you can't see anything and you throw a flare out and it's just this giant expansive kind of cave that you found yourself in that you've kind of dug your way into and you see you know like deposits of this or that type of mineral on the ceiling or in the walls and you're just kind of, and you see ledges and stuff, and you just kind of are kind of in this big, huge space that's underground. And then you're obviously you're, f- you're trying to figure out where to go and how to get to where you want to get to, to uh, to mine this stuff. the The music on the game is really, really impressive as well. I was just really impressed with the, with the whole entire package. And there's and there's four different classes of dwarves that you can play. There's one who's a gunner whose job it is, but kind of basically to you know, take the lead on fighting off swarms when they come. Then there's one, uh, oh yeah. And you also have a zip line thing that you can attach that anybody can latch onto and ride up or down to wherever it goes. Then there's a scout, which has a, 
kind of a he's got instead of just flares, he's got a flare gun that shoots a flare that will attach itself onto any wall or ceiling that you shoot it onto, so it can really illuminate like a very large area. Because like I'm saying it's really, really important to get flares out because sometimes you just flat out cannot see what's going on. Um, and he also has a grappling hook so he can easily get anywhere really quickly just by himself. Then there's a driller who has these two giant drills that he can, every, every dwarf has a pickaxe and they can kind of pick through walls and create tunnels or, or, or do whatever. But this guy has two giant drills that just drills through stuff super fast. And then there's an engineer who can set up, who can do things like set up turrets. Uh, he can plant C4. And uh, there's another, forgot what, there's another like major thing that he does, but I forgot what his other kind of most important thing is. Anyway, I was really, really impressed with this game. And I really had a lot of fun playing it. It's so cool getting in and doing all this mining. And then all of a sudden there's a swarm of these bad guys coming. You got to fight them off and stuff. Just really every aspect of this game is very well done. So I highly recommend that to uh, to, to basically anybody. I don't, I don't really even love first-person shooters, and I really had a lot of fun with this. It's Deep Rock Galactic. Oh. And so I guess since you don't have anything, we will uh, we will uh, call this a wrap. Follow us at Class Games Cast. You can follow me. I'm at King Octavius. Um, as a reminder, I am making a video game. I just kind of just started recently talking about this. It's called Nothing Without a Ship. You can follow me. Uh, you can follow the, the game's Twitter account at Not Without a Ship on Twitter or check it out uh, nothingwithoutaship.com. It'd be it would be awesome if you could do that. Uh, on on the website, there's also a link to join the game's Discord, which uh, everyone is very welcome to do. What else is that about it? Is that is that wrap us up, Jay? We, oh, Civ Four is our game of the quarter. So play that if you want to talk about it with us in September, or if you want to write in your, I mean, if you want to write in your thoughts in September about that. And uh, mail at classicgamingpodcast.com is our email. Tell your friends to listen to us. Give us amazing reviews on iTunes. And I think that might be it. I think so. Okay. Well, since Jay's given me the confirmation, then we'll call that an Virtual episode. Virtual thumbs up. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. I'm giving you one back. Um, That's not your thumb. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for listening. We will see you guys in three weeks. Thanks, everybody.